ring with uh, was just a stand-up guy. I mean, character-wise, just a stand-up guy. We had so much fun after the fight uh, just to see two men. It sounds so crazy to me, but to see them afterwards kid around, joke around, and talk about how they were talking to each other while they are doing this in the ring. Um, And so the whole concept behind that, I remember looking at a picture where Brandon and his team, his his group of guys are sitting in the back room just waiting to be called out. And I just saw this picture today. And what I was able to see through this was, because I still try to figure out why, how how did my son end up wanting to get into this, cage and how did this happen because this is the same little boy he wants to pull over and the same young man who wants to pull over when he sees a dead animal uh he wants to make sure that that animal animal is out of the street i mean the same person he was as a little person and so what i got out of that picture today and i haven't had the time to even talk to rodney about this but these guys just look like they have found brotherhood and they're not all the same race. They just, they, it looks as if they are such, they're at such peace because they're in a room full of men who are connecting to some level, coming from all different parts of life and the world, but with that same goal. And I feel like that is to be able to lead in their own lives, to lead their family, to lead as men, as husbands, as brothers. And you guys, you men, I'm going to tell you, please, if you think that you cannot be a leader, I don't care if you don't have a degree, I don't care if you don't have a car, I don't care what you cannot do or who you think you are not, there is some way that you are able to lead. If it's nothing but to sit down and have a conversation with a young man about the choices you made, about the things you wish you could go back and redo, if you could just instruct them, as that word says, instruct them. It takes only your experience, your mouth to do that. You can do that over the phone. You can do that on the corner while you're doing whatever. You can do that. And it reminded me of when we interviewed Rodney, you and Brandon, and Brandon said it's not the guys in the suits. It's not the ones who've made it who pull me over and say, listen, little dude, little homie, don't do that. Go this route. It's not the guys in the suits that have made it. It was the guys on the streets who who society considers not making it that said, Hey, don't don't go down this road. Don't do this. Don't do that. So we have a lot to talk about tonight. And I'm so glad again that we're extending this. And so maybe we're just gonna skip over the trash can concept because I didn't mean to go that long. Maybe we'll do that at the end if if we if we think about it and we have the time. If not, come back next next week and hear about the trash can some concept. Now, Rodney want to give a shout-out to Rodney because I was able to listen to his interview on the Tom Jordan Morning Show that he did several weeks ago. So I want to say great job, Rodney. You did an awesome job. Um, that reminded me of some things, too. Um, the Trayvon Martin. We're coming up on a year here soon. It's not a year, but he'll, what he died, uh, I think it was February 26th. And, I'm, and then we have the Michael Brown situation that I don't hear anything anymore about. I know some people became famous over this because of their their feedback on social media, through social media. And I'm, I, I don't recall seeing anything here lately, and I could be wrong. Maybe I'm just missing it. But, again, just as I thought, we get, we get all cranked up. We crank the car up. We drive it to the end of the corner of the block, and we come back. 
We're pulled by puppy strings, not leaders. And so what we're telling our, those same young boys who need and who are looking for those instructions, we're telling those same young boys that your life doesn't matter. All that matters is I get caught up in the frenzy on social media that I look like I'm going to do something, that I look like I care, but when it gets down to it, when they drop it, it's dropped on my end as well. So I hope that our leading men who we have tonight, um, I'm sure they have something to share uh, comments on, on these things. But Rodney and Brandon, I want to say thank you both for um, being leading men in my life. Um, I think to Mary, I don't know if she's watching because she lets me borrow my brother on the phone often to, to talk and rant and rave. So I just I just thank all of you uh, for what you're doing and, and the, you're spreading your wings in my life. I'll say that because men have wings too, not just about girls, butterflies. So Ronnie, I'm going to be quiet because um, you're going to take over for the first hour because I already told you how uh, I can say one line and sum up the show for for uh, Mr. Valen. So, but I'll let you just kind of take over and do your thing there, okay? <laughs> Sounds good to me, Tammy. Uh, thank you so much, uh, everyone who is tuned in tonight. I know we have some some new uh, some new listeners on with us tonight. We want to thank you for supporting. Uh, Mr. Jamal A. Bowman, um, I'm excited, Tammy, uh, because I love talking to educators. Um, and one of the things that impressed me when I first connected with Mr. Bowman, um, we, we we talked, first of all, we met through Twitter, and then we talked on the phone, and it was refreshing to hear um, a genuine voice that was not a teacher, um, technically not a teacher, um, but even in his uh, current role as a principal, as an administrator, you could tell that he was still connected to the classroom. You could tell that he was still connected to his teachers. He was connected to his staff, everyone in his building, everyone connected to his school. He still was what was, was was in tune with what was going on, not just in the school but in his community, and just talking to him for for the short time that I did, I said, "Man, like I want to go work at his school as a teacher when you meet somebody like mr bowman you 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 you're you're looking for the next vacancy because you can tell that he's somebody that you would not mind working under if you were." a teacher, or even if you were a support staff. So tonight, excuse me, it, it gives me great pleasure. It is an honor uh, to introduce uh, Mr. Jamal Bowman, who is the principal of Casa Middle School in the Bronx, New York. Uh, he is a husband. Uh, he's also a father. Uh, his school, um, his students, uh, they've done several projects to promote change, equality, and justice, not just for black people, but for everyone. And you can find their videos on YouTube. And Mr. Bowman is going to tell us some other things about him, about his school, some different things, and, and how you can get in touch with him. So I believe we have Mr. Bowman on the air with us now. Are you there, Mr. Bowman? Yes, sir, I'm here. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for being on with us, man. We we, we appreciate it when you were on with us uh, maybe about a month ago, so we're glad to have you back on with us. 
I appreciate being here. Thank you so much. Uh, it's an honor uh, to be recognized and to be a part of your series this month. Uh, good evening, Tammy. Uh, thank you so much for uh, reaching out uh, and, and, and sending an invite. I'm just I'm just blessed and very humbled to be a part of, of what you two are doing, and, and, and thank you so much for your leadership. It's greatly needed and uh, greatly appreciated. You're very welcome. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing. Uh, Mr. Boomer, just give, um, I I mentioned some general things, but go ahead and and give the audience uh, just some background about who you are, um, some projects that you and your students are working on, you and your school are working on, some things that you're doing in the community, uh, anything that you've published, uh, videos that that are out there. I know that you uh, have done a lot. So uh, anything you want to tell the audience about you, your school, um, and some things that you're doing. Uh, go ahead and do that for us. Absolutely. Uh, so this is my sixth year as the founding principal of Casa Middle School. We're located in the East Chester section of the Bronx. I'm very uh, happy and proud to say that we have most of the founding staff uh, still at the school, and for those who have moved on, uh, we are still very connected with those educators that have moved on. Uh, Before I was a principal, I was a dean of students at the High School for Arts and Technology at the MLK campus uh, near Lincoln Center uh, in Manhattan, New York City. Uh, Before that, I was a teacher, elementary school teacher, K-4, to for five years. So this is my uh, 15th year in education. Uh, Yeah, and at CASA, so we're in middle school. We serve about 250 Uh, black and Latino, uh, quote-unquote, low-income students. Uh, We we implement uh, a curriculum that is diversified and and holistic in terms of, you know, we have the core subjects, humanities, mathematics, and science, but our students also have courses in technology, in dance, in creative arts, in health, uh, and in genius hour as well. Uh, This year, uh, we've worked on projects uh, related to uh, the tragedy that took place in Ferguson uh, with Mike Brown. Um, And as you mentioned, you can go on YouTube and check that out. There's a great uh, documentary uh, directed and edited uh, by uh, Mr. Joel. Um, He's a part of a partnership we have with a company called Negus World. Uh, You can check that out. It's called From Bronx to Ferguson on YouTube. Uh, we've also uh, created a video also related to uh, Ferguson uh, regarding uh, student voice and uh, stepping up and just having a voice related to all injustices, uh, whether it's Ferguson-related, whether it's, whether it's Eric Gardner. Uh, our students were on Bronx 12 because we did a, a mini protest outside the school after the uh, after the non-indictment uh, came back um, regarding the Eric Gardner murder. Uh, so, you know, we just try to make our students uh, connected to what's happening in terms of current events and what's happening in terms of, of their communities, uh, whether it's in the Bronx or their extended communities throughout the country. Okay. Sounds like you're, you're, you're pretty busy, man, and have been for a very long time. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess you could say that. I mean, I, I'm I'm very happy and blessed to to like the work that I do. I'm very excited to 
to get up and go to work every day. I mean, I, I, I love kids. I mean, that's first and foremost what I think you have to do to be in the position wherein as educators. I love kids. I love working with teachers. I love working with parents. And it's just very exciting because every day we have the opportunity uh, to transform someone's life every single day. Um, it, it could be a small moment. It could be a small conversation. Uh, it could be listening to something student has to say. Every small moment is the opportunity to transform someone's life. So that I, I take great, great pride and excitement in having those opportunities. Now, you're, you're doing a lot um, in the community, in the Bronx, uh, which uh, for those of you listening, if you've never been to the Bronx or, or don't know much about the Bronx, uh, it, it's not an easy place to grow up. Um, many people have done it and many people have been successful. So, uh, so, so please don't take what I'm saying in a negative way. But anyone who knows anything about the Bronx, the Bronx is not, it's not always, you know, considered to be the, the easiest place to grow up. And so, uh, we know that you're busy in the community. We know you, you, you're you busy at the school. Now, how do you manage being a successful educator, a successful administrator, along with still maintaining your responsibilities and your role as a husband and as a father? A lot of times we, we hear excuses as to why things are the way that they are, why homes are falling apart, why why boys don't have role models, why their dads are absent. How is it that you balance um, both of those um, in your life? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think first and foremost I have a, a wife who's who's incredibly conscious and incredibly loving and supportive uh, in, in what I do. Uh, at my school and in the community, I have extended family, um, you know, my mom, my sisters, uh, and friends who are always encouraging, uplifting, and supporting in, in, in what I'm trying to do. Um, and I, I just think it's all interconnected regardless. I mean, it's a particular mindset uh, that I, I take to work every day in terms of empowerment, upliftment, uh, leadership, change, transformation, uh, intelligence, peace, love, you know, and, and pillars similar to, to those. Um, I have that same mindset uh, when when I'm home with my family, you know, when I'm with my daughter and I'm playing with her and, you know, she's nine months now, so, you know, she's, you know, developing her attentiveness and focus and, you know, trying to walk and crawl and do all those things. And so when I'm, when I'm playing with her, same mindset. Uh, when I'm playing with my stepson, he's five and interacting with him. It's all about learning. It's all about love. It's all about character. Uh, my 13-year-old son, who I don't live with, but still very closely connected with, and, and he's embraced my uh, my new family, and our blended family has worked out great. Uh, so it, it's just, you know, you, you move with love. You, you work hard, and and love just kind of drives, uh, you know, when you, when you had a long day's work and you, and you come home and your wife says, uh, we need, you know, we need uh, sweet potatoes, and, uh, green beans from the store. You got to go back out and get it. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, <laughs> it, 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 you just got to do it. The car needs to be moved. You got to move the car. You know, New York has a snowstorm, you know, this weekend and uh, this week, excuse me, and I hope everyone is safe, but you got to go out and shovel. It's just, you know, you work hard and, and, and you allow love to drive you and, and, and you have faith and, and a higher power and, and you allow that to kind of 
kind of drive what you do, uh, and that's what I do. Hey, this okay. is Tammy. I, I want to. I want you to elaborate a little bit more. And I know I was going to try to be quiet this first hour, but you said something. You <laughs> things, you know, it's hard for me to keep quiet. But you said about your wife that she's incredibly conscious. So you 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 put some some more stuff before that. Tell us in what ways. <laughs> I want the women to hear this, and I want the men to hear it as well because they may be missing some of that incredible incredibly consciousness going on. So if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit more about what you say there. Well, I mean, one of the ways my wife hooked me was by giving me a book uh, to read (laughs) about, uh, it was the the Life and Death of the Great American School System by Diane Ravitch, a book about Diane talks about her experience with No Child Left Behind and how she was all for that. And now she's, you know, don't really think testing is the way to go for our kids and how she's uh, fighting, fighting to change that. So you know, I know, you know, some some stereotypes involve uh, you know way to a man's heart is through his stomach, and I think that's true. But for me, it's also through my mind. So that's how my wife hooked me. Uh, and just when I say conscious, I mean she's she's aware of um, aware of the injustices of our society, very in tune uh, with how uh, very in tune with oppression. Um, and how it's worked throughout the history of our country. Um, my wife is a Latina, so, you know, she's very connected with the struggles of Latinas um, in relation uh, to, to African Americans and black people all over the world. Um, you know, she's a reader. She comes from a family uh, of readers and conscious people. Um, so that's what I mean. So, I, And I think my sort of mindset when it comes to that probably attracted me to her as well. Uh, so it, it, it's a match made in heaven in that way. So when I say conscious, I just mean like aware, awake, um, you know, not caught up in the matrix, you know, to use a metaphor. She's she's awake and, and, and she's a fighter for justice as well. Okay, great. And you only wrote a book. Have you, have you two written a book together yet on relationships? <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. We're too busy uh getting married and having babies and, and and trying to, you know, support each other with all that. But, hey, hopefully hopefully one day, man, you, you never know. You, you have to give me some pointers on that, Rodney. I know you're already an author. Uh, I'm actually working on something now, but, uh, you know, I've still got a lot to learn and a lot to work on. <laughs> hey, man, that sounds good to me. Let, let, let's uh... – Let's move back to the school for just a minute. Um, describe, what a day, describe what a day is like at Casa Middle School. And then uh, also, I know I didn't do a good job of uh, of explaining it, but tell the people what Casa uh, stands for. And then tell us what a day would be like if we were to show If Tammy and I were to show up at Casa Middle School tomorrow, we know that we can't because you're all expecting like 100 feet of snow. Uh, <laughs> exactly. But what would, a, what would a day at Casa be like if Tammy and I were to show up tomorrow? Yeah, so first of all, CASA stands for Cornerstone Academy for Social Action. Uh, it's actually not the name I chose. Uh, the name, when I wrote the proposal for the school, uh, my my name was Life Academy, which was an acronym that stood for Leadership Inspires Freedom and Excellence. Uh, how ironic we're talking about leadership tonight. Uh, but that I couldn't I couldn't name the school Life Academy because there was there was already a Life Academy in New York for pregnant teens. Um, also, how ironic is that? 
but the founding uh, principal of the Casa Elementary School, uh, Dr. Melissa Mutu, chose the name uh, Casa, which is like a double, triple entendre. Casa, you know, obviously uh, being being home in, in Spanish, uh, Cornerstone Academy, obviously referencing uh, biblical text uh, and social action uh, being what it is. Uh, so, you know, for a student at, at my school, you know, first thing you do when you walk in, you see me. Uh, you know, I'm I'm there every morning, doors open 7.30, and kids come in and, good morning, Mr. Bowman. They shake my hand. I, you know, instruct them on a firm handshake. I instruct them on looking someone in the eye. Um, you know, good morning, Mr. Bowman, firm handshake with, with most kids. With other kids, it's a, it's a pound and a hug, Um you know, for those of you who know what that is, you know, it's a pound and a hug. And then for other kids, it's a straight hug. Good morning. Uh, you know, I never subscribe to the whole, oh, you know, make sure you never touch kids or, you know, you don't want to get caught up in anything. I, I just never, to me, that was inauthentic. You know, these kids are my kids, and I'm going to treat them like I would treat my own kids. Um, so first thing is a, is a handshake, pound, hug, hug. Uh, they hang out in the auditorium or eat breakfast before it's time to go upstairs, and then they go upstairs and and, um, and go through their normal uh, course schedule, as I, as I mentioned before. We tried to make it holistic so they're not just reading, writing, speaking, and listening, doing math all day. I mean, they do that enough, and they get a lot of time on task with that. But we also want to tap into the students' creative ability. So I, a class like Genius Hour, for example, uh, for two 60-minute blocks per week, our, our kids get to research, research and study ideas and, and topics that they're interested in, you know, whatever it might be, from from dance to uh, to creating a hoverboard to depression uh, to whatever. Um, and that's great. You know, once students get an get get opportunity to have a voice in a curriculum like that, they, they become much more engaged. And our attendance is about 96%, you know, which is – obviously very good for a middle school in the inner city. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, you know, they have dance, which is also a creative um, endeavor that satisfies the bodily kinesthetic intelligence. I'm a believer in the multiple intelligences. Um, and then we have creative arts, where they get to, they get to write songs, write poems, um, record songs, uh, be video recorders, video editors, uh, create um, uh, movie scenes and scripts, um, for for our videos, and then they have technology when they're learning uh, coding and other 21st century skills there. Um, and then throughout the day, you know, it's just a. Uh, I like to I like for it to be a, an authentic, organic, loving environment. You know, so it, we we I, I like to touch you know interact with my students, you know, emotionally daily, um, and, and I try to hire a staff that feels the same way. Um, so we, it, it's just, you know, it's love. It's, it's a lot of love. It's a lot of fun. I, I think learning and fun can, can go hand in hand. Um, so we try, we try to promote that. And then if a kid gets out of line, we have, uh, we have the discipline piece, of course, if uh, a child has gone too far. But we also have the counseling component where we have at-risk counseling, mediation, uh, and, and great rapport with parents. So you know, thankfully we're not a school where, you know, kids are fighting and there's chaos and all that. Uh, you know, the kids respect what we're trying to do and we respect them and, and we just treat them with love. Well, Amy, I have a question. Yeah. Why, I have a question. 
I got to get this in. I can't let this one go because I will never <laughs> about giving out your phone number to your kids and parents. And I know you mentioned that you've not had that many calls. I want you to talk about why, what made you do that and, and what, what do you think it did or has done or meant to those kids and, and their parents? So what made you feel like, you know, I'm going to give this number out? Because the only – I shared with Rodney today, um, when I took Brandon off to college at UT Knox, the fresh, the freshman, um, I guess, advisor, whomever they – whatever they call him, in the freshman class, he gave all the parents his home number and said, if you ever need anything, call. And I remember that feeling like, okay, I'm okay. We made the right choice here. So what what was it that made you do this? I don't know. It just it just made sense. I mean, when I when I was a teacher, when I was a dean, got a counselor. I mean, I did the same thing. It, it just made sense to just you know for parents to have that type of connection to me. Um, you know, sometimes when you call a school, you call the office. You can't always get uh, me as a principal, or when I was a teacher, me as a teacher. I just, I just thought it made sense, and I, I think it, it, it help, helps parents to to know and feel that they're not alone, uh, that the school, you know, has their back, that the school is support, supported above them, um, and not just the school, but me personally, like on a personal level. Uh, and, and a lot of parents need that. They need to feel that extra support. Unfortunately, um, many parents feel alienated uh, from schools uh, and, and feel alienated uh, with regard to people in authority, you know, they don't feel uh, a quote-unquote authority. They don't feel like they, they're connected to them or they could connect with them. Um, and, and I've always tried to, to bridge that gap. You know, I, I've always wanted to connect with anybody I work with in that way. So, you know, for me, it just always it always made sense. And I know for some teachers and some administrators, they, they don't do that because I guess their mindset is, well, after – three o'clock or five o'clock, whatever, that's my time. And, and that's fine, and I agree with that. And then some teachers were afraid of prank calls and different things like that. But I got to tell you, uh, throughout my career, I, I haven't had parents abuse that, uh, quote, unquote, privilege. You know, I don't. I, my phone doesn't ring off the hook uh, throughout the night, uh, and I think that's because we, we try to handle our business during the day in school. Uh, and I, I don't think I've ever gotten a prank call, maybe one. Uh, in 15 years. Uh, so, you know, I, I just felt it was the right thing to do, and I feel our parents need it because they, they need to feel that emotional attachment to the people working with their children. That is powerful. You mentioned earlier about keeping the same mindset at home as you do in the workplace and, and everywhere else. I just want to reiterate, reiterate on that as well because that's so important. Sometimes we people are more apt to lead outside mm-hmm. and come home and feel like I can kind of take my hat off and not be that same leader. But it's so important to connect with that oneness and be that one person um, as best we can be. So I didn't want to leave that out as well. So mm-hmm. I think I'm done. <laughs> that, that is just powerful. We have we, uh, we have a caller. Uh, we're going to bring in a caller from area coast six seven eight, and the last four digits are nine nine five three. Caller, you are on the air. 
Good evening. Good evening. Hello. Good evening. Hi, this is Sherry from the Precious Mind Show. How are you guys doing? Hi, Tammy. Hi, how are you? Good. Hey, Rodney. Hey, 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 what's going on? I'm listening to guests. How are you doing? Very well, thank, thank you. How are you? Awesome. I just wanted to um, ask what the guest said as far as him giving out his number as a principal to his students. When I encounter individuals or, you know, my, most of my clientele is adults who need parenting or some type of counseling. But when I do encounter one of my teenagers or between the ages of 10 and, and 16 or 18 who need counseling, I say, hey, call me. Here's my number. I give them my card, my cell number on there. Call me. I've gotten calls at 2 o'clock in the morning. Hey, Miss Carl, Miss Sherry, I'm not here. I'm about to smoke. I smoke some weed. I'm high as I don't know what. I don't know what to do. And I'm sitting there like, okay, unethically, I'm out of compliance. <laughs> I shouldn't be talking to this client at 2 o'clock in the morning about this issue. But because I love what I do, I do it. So I understand mm-hmm. you as a principal as going outside of your natural or ethical um, character to do things that you know will bring a better um, response or a, a better outcome for the kids that you ser- that you service. With me being a clinical therapist, I feel if you're having a crisis at your o'clock in the morning, I need to know about it. For one, to make sure you don't do anything detrimental to your life or your livelihood, and two, so I can know what's going on with you so I can better help you. So I can research what I need to do to provide you this service for this situation to help you out of this circumstance. So there's no... There's nothing there's in my in my book there's no I don't I don't have a set business hour. It's not nine to five, it's not ten to six, it's hey, call me when you need So as a principal in the schools, especially when I go to the schools to work with kids and I hear from the principal and the social worker how the kid has a bright future but because of their circumstances in the house, they're not able to succeed or proceed with what they're trying to accomplish. That makes it even more detrimental that I be a, a, a very prominent picture in their life. So I, I reach out and I say thank you to you as a principal for doing that. So most principals, I mean, I don't know my principal's number to my kids' school <laughs> at all. I don't know her name. I don't think I have blonde hair, but I don't know her phone number. <laughs> but I do know that my kid is excelling in school because I am. You know, I check, I check the whole um, PTA. I've never been to a meeting because I haven't been invited. So I said, hey, what's your what's your invitation process? How come I haven't been invited? Oh, well, no, 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 no. I mean, I'm a different kind of parent, believe me. The race that you I, used to deal Jerry, with that does not I interact remember, with what you're doing. Jerry, Go ahead, Tammy. I remember you having an issue with that. Tell us, and we, we won't get off too much, but I remember how did all that work out because maybe um, – it was something about the PTA. I think you were going to follow up on with them, right? And with the I did. Group. How did that go? You're right. In that school, <laughs> they have a very low, um, a very low parent involvement. Quite. I mean, um, it, it, the parents are not very involved. Okay. But because I am a different kind of, because I am a social worker, I'm super involved. I want to know. You have to let me know. You have to include me. I will not accept you not including me. So I let them know that, and I let them know who I am. 
you know, sometimes I think in this field with the school, I think every parent is, okay, she's a single parent, oh, she don't know what she's doing, she has a low education. No, I'm very highly educated. Probably I got more degrees than any of y'all do in that school. So because of that, I'm like, you know, I am here, I am educated, and I am aware, and I am African-American. So don't try to pay me because of that. I know a lot of African-American, Hispanic cultures don't get involved in their child school stuff, but because I am who I am, I am involved. So I do want to know, and you will let me know. And I'm letting you know that you will let me know what's going on with my child in this school because my kid is a student at this school, at this school, and I need to know what's going on. I don't care what other parents did. I'm a different kind of parent, and I will be in the know. I will send you emails. I will send you letters. I will participate in everything you got going on, but I need to be involved, and you will involve me. So how, would you, that, how would you respond? I, this is Rodney. This is Rodney real quick. Uh, Mr. Bowman, how would you respond if a if a parent like Sherry um, came to you with these concerns? I mean, we understand that, you know, you, you just got it going on in the Bronx at Costa Middle School. But if, <laughs> if a parent like Sherry came to you, uh, what would your response be? Yeah, you know, that's a great segue because it definitely isn't all peaches and cream, and we definitely make mistakes, you know, at our school, not only with regard to parents, but with regard to a variety of things. And when we're talking about leadership, I think leadership is about constantly learning, constantly owning your mistakes, and constantly learning from those mistakes. So, you know, for me, if I've, you know, I recently had a situation where a parent contacted me and my follow-up was, was inadequate. Um, it wasn't it wasn't timely. Um, it wasn't explicit. Um, I, I went back on my word. Not went back on my word, but I didn't follow up on what I said I was going to do. Um, so that parent, um, which is her right, uh, went to the district uh, to, to report, you know, that she didn't feel um, my communication was adequate, and the district contacted me, uh, and I immediately had a meeting with the parent, immediately apologized uh, profusely for, for how I handled a particular situation, um, and, and I promised that in the future um, I will do better and I will be better. Uh, and that parent also uh, has my personal number, and I informed her that, you know, she could contact me anytime. Uh, and you know this is this is a great part of the conversation because leadership is about learning. It's not about perfection. It's about learning and owning when you do something wrong, when you make a mistake, um, and it's about constantly trying to get better. So for me, um, if a parent wants to, wants to come in and speak about anything at any time, um, we definitely have an open door policy. But sometimes in the school things get hectic, um, and I you know I've missed. You know, I have to follow up once or twice in a particular in a particular moment, um, and when I do that, I you know I have to say I am sorry. I was wrong. I will do better. I will get better, uh, and I think that's a that's a huge part of leadership, getting better every day. Wow. And I appreciate that so much. I appreciate that so much because a lot of times, I, I before my my daughter went to this. I Googled it, and I saw they had a low parent participation. And I'm going to go ahead and say it. In the, in the, in the, in the community where I live, in the neighborhood where I live, it's um, mostly 
you know, white. A lot of racism goes on here because it's old school um, beliefs, old school raising. Old school. Everybody who who was raised, born here, is still living here, raising their kids here. Their kids are going to their elementary schools, their junior high schools, their their high schools. So it's like a a, a lot of things that has been conducted as far as um, you know, collect a generational thing going. So. I feel there's a lot of racism at the school somewhat because of the environment in the neighborhood. But I, I, I'm from Ohio where racism was our next door neighbor. So I know how to look over that stuff. And my thing is I don't care if you like my child's hair or complexion or whatever. She is a very smart kid. She needs direction. So in order for us to get her what she needs, we need to work together. I don't care about your history or my history. We need to work together for her future. So how can we do this without any racism, any issues going on? I am an African-American parent. I am single, divorced. I am involved in my kids' education. So how can we work together? And her teacher and I, we email every day, all the time, whenever there's an issue. I even gave her a baby shower gift before her baby shower. And that's the connection I have with him because I want them to know I am involved. This is my daughter. I am education-focused and based. So whatever you're teaching her, I need to know so I can help her learn better. And because of that, reaching out to them, they were able to let me know, hey, Ms. Kaufman, thank you. Here you go. Here's her assignment. This is what she struggles in. This is her issues. And we have we have no problems. And I think if more parents with that approach, the schools will have a better relationship with the parents and the kids where nothing will get past anybody and everything will flow smoothly. So thank you for what you have provided to your students at your school in your city and state so that I can try to adopt the same and bring it to my city and state where my kids are going to school at. And, and thank you. Thank you so much. I think it's a system of checks and balances and, and parents have to keep schools on point. Schools have to keep kids on point uh, and, and it has to be a collaborative relationship. There's definitely a system of checks and balances and we need parents like you to continue to be proactive um, and, and, and ensure that the school communicates accordingly and gives you what you need as a parent. And, and one of the next steps for us is helping parents to organize themselves, not only uh, with regard to their work uh, with our school, but with regard to what's happening in the community uh, with all schools, with, with all pre-K to 12 institutions, with their taxpayer dollars. Like parents need to organize around that and hold elected officials uh, and people in power accountable for what needs to happen for their children so their children can be prepared for the 21st century moving forward. Right. We definitely, this is Rodney, uh, we definitely need uh, more supportive uh, parents and active parents like Sherry. So, Sherry, we want to thank you so much for uh, uh, offering your uh, your perspective and, and definitely, uh, you know, the things that you've mentioned uh, just now and, we need more parents like you. We need more parents who are going to go out to the schools. We need more parents who are going to challenge our, our, our administrators and challenge the school board, challenge the school divisions, uh, and hopefully that will happen. Sherry, thank you so much uh, for, for tuning in and being on with us. Always. You got that, Auntie. I mean, Aaron, always. I mean, Rodney. <laughs> you can see <laughs> Always. <laughs> they call me different people's names. <laughs> You know, so many everybody I listen to, I follow, try to support everybody. So, 
I can dig it. Thank you so thank much. You. And, and, Tammy. And, and, and we hope that you'll continue to listen. Uh, we, we have some more questions uh, from Mr. Bowman, and then we're going to have another great guy on at, uh, at uh, 10 o'clock Eastern, 9 o'clock Central. So we hope that you can stay on with us. I'm here. Absolutely. All right. Thank, thank you, you, Sherry. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Bowman, um, I want to I jump back to something that you said, and I think I heard it correctly. You started Carson Middle School? Uh, yes. Uh, in 2008, I was fortunate enough to apply and be accepted to uh, New Leaders for New Schools, which is a national uh, principal recruitment and training program in about 10 cities uh, throughout the country. And uh, while I was a resident uh, with new leaders uh, for the year, uh, it's a year training program, I had the option to write a proposal uh, for a new school and submit that proposal uh, to the city. I could have either written a proposal for a new district public school, which I did, or written a proposal for a charter or take over an existing school if the opportunity presented itself. So I decided to write a proposal uh, for the school, and I just, I just thought, you know, I had some ideas. Let me put them on paper. Let, let me see if uh, see if the city was 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 ready to 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 accept those ideas. Uh, so yeah, in 2008, I wrote a proposal. At the end of 2008, December, I presented uh, my school idea to the city, and uh, the following year, uh, January or February, I think we were approved to open that that September. Uh, yeah, so you know, I guess in that sense, I'm like an education entrepreneur, uh, you know, which is which was which is awesome. Um, and I'm just so Here's why I brought that up, Tammy. Uh, one because because I heard him mention it uh, uh, when he was. I think he was responding to a question that you had asked, or it was right before you had said something. And um, I, I taught in New York City last year. I taught in Harlem. And I know that, um, you know, if if you have an idea, if, if you want to do something, uh, if you want to start a school, um, and we'll, we'll be that specific, you actually have the opportunity, if you go about it the way that he did, you have to sit down, you have to write a proposal, and then you have to present it to the city. And the beauty of it is, um, in New York City, you actually have that opportunity. And I know that there are a lot of people um, who are anti-charter uh, school, anti-private school, you know, anti-people you know, people starting, their, uh, starting their own schools. However, my thing is when it comes to education, there's only one question. Are children being educated? And if they are being educated, what's all of, what is all of the fuss about if the children are being educated? And I'm pretty sure that there are a number of children, a number of parents, a number of people, period, who are so glad that you started in school. And another, another thing that I want to mention real quick is you don't find too many administrators who can admit that they are wrong, not just to uh, the person that, uh, that they were wrong with, but to also, you know, publicly say, hey, I was wrong, but also here is how I corrected my wrong. So I hope that 
anyone out there, whether you're whether you're an educator, um, no matter what your role is in society, it is okay to say, "Hey, I messed up this time." It takes a man to admit, "Hey, you know what? As hard as I as hard as I work, as hard, as much as I try to do things the right way, you know what? I'm gonna mess up sometimes." But I'm sorry, and here's how I'm going to fix what I did wrong. And, Tammy, we have a caller, but I'm going to let you jump in here real quick uh, before we take our caller. Yeah, can I, can I add on to that point really quickly? Absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I would even go a step further. I don't want to say it's okay. I think it's essential for human development for we to, for us to say we are sorry, we were wrong, Here's how I'm going to get better. I think that's essential for the psychological, emotional, social, intellectual health of all human beings, particularly uh, poor people of color and the people that we try and serve each and every day. We got to admit when we're wrong. Nobody's perfect. How else are we going to learn and self-actualize, uh, self-actualize in this existence if we don't admit we're wrong? We have not. Nothing grand, nothing nothing beautiful, nothing amazing was ever created on a grand scale without people learning from their mistakes as they go along. So I would even take it a step further and say it's essential for us to say the words, I'm sorry, my bad, because then, now you put yourself in a position of power, opposed to looking for someone to blame or looking for excuses or trying to figure out how, to 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 not show that you made a mistake. Instead of doing that and, and, and self-victimizing, now we're empowering ourselves to to make change in our lives and in our community. So I think that that my bad, I'm sorry, I'm wrong is essential for us to to live and share as we go through life. Absolutely, Sammy. <laughs> this, this is this is Tammy. I certainly agree. And as you as you as you were talking about that and how you humble humbly admitted to hey I didn't handle this right, you allowed yourself to be human. But not only that, I mean, so many people, especially in the in the profession of teaching, because when when we look at teaching or any principles, we are teaching our kids how to do life honestly. Do it with integrity. Mm-hmm. So there have been many instances and many cases where I've seen and know for a fact that an educator would, would just flat out lie, and you would know that these kids are telling the truth or it didn't happen this way. And, but imagine what that does to that child, what that, the setback it does. Now I know as a child, you don't really care about me or what you're doing. So it's, it's especially crucial that people who are in the profession of educating in whatever way it is to be very honest, brutally honest, especially when they have made a bad decision. Absolutely. The the um, um, something else I want to I, I want to uh, go back to that you said. Um, you said that the students in your school have a say in the curriculum and what it is that they learn. Correct. Yes. How has that um, increased student achievement at your school? Well, this year, the course that we have, Genius Hour, this is the first year we're doing it, so it remains to be seen. 
uh, we're a culture where we've always given student voice, whether it's in the curriculum that they learn during the day or in a club that they want to have after school. So if a student comes to me and says, you know, Mr. Bowman, I want, I think we should have an art club. We need an art club. I'll try to find an art teacher to start an art club after school. And I allocate my budget so there's always money on the side for things like that. Um, if a student wants a robotics club, if a student wants a botany club, whatever, we always give student voice. And we've always been a school where, you know, student achievement, we always make student growth, whether it's, uh, whether it's 5, 10, 15, sometimes 25 percentage points growth on the state test, you know, which is the measuring stick for everyone. Uh, so the student voice has always led to growth, but this level of voice with a course that, you know, they have total control over what they learn and how they learn it, this is the first year we're doing it. So we'll see uh, how it pans out. What I can say is, uh, attendance has increased by by four uh, percent, and I can also say uh, student voice overall and creativity in terms of products that they're cre- that they're sharing with the school community has increased, and we've had we we have more of that than we've ever had before. So I can say that now. I can also say, and I, I forgot about this. Uh, we we take like mid year benchmarks uh, in December. You know, like you have your baselines in September and um, your benchmarks uh, in December. So on our benchmarks in, in ELA, our students have made uh, more than a year's growth in in four months. Uh, so that that's remarkable. And in math, we're on pace to surpass a year's growth in just a four-month period. So, you know, so the achievement is there in terms of our in-house assessments. We're going to see where it goes in the state assessments. And for those of you who are not familiar, uh, ELA stands for English Language Arts. So basically, uh, when it comes to English Language Arts, uh, that's that your writing, that's your reading. Uh, uh, the students at Costa Middle School have already made a year's growth in less than half of a school year. So uh, great job to you, Mr. Bowman. Great job to your staff. Um you, you you mentioned that staff retention um, is not really an issue at your school because you all still have many of the people um, who started out at um, your school uh, from 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 day one, and then also those who have moved on. Um, there there's there's still a um, a close relationship with them. Mm-hmm. How is that possible? Because so many teachers are leaving not just. <laughs> their schools, but they're leaving the profession. How is how is teacher retention even possible? I, I try to be very supportive of teachers uh, in terms of resources, in terms of their ideas. Um, the same way we promote student voice, I've always promoted teacher's voice, teacher voice. And if teachers have an idea or project they want to run with, uh, I, I try to empower them uh, to do so. And, you know, I, I want my teachers to be well-equipped and well-prepared uh, for the job at hand, which is a difficult job, educating students who come in uh, a year, two years, three years behind. You know, how do we do that? So opportunities for professional development, opportunities for resources, opportunities to, you know, earn a little extra um, via overtime and things like that. You know, I just try to give teachers voice, and I just try to empower them, and I try to equip them. Uh, so that they could do the job at hand. And, and, and most importantly, 
I, I want them to understand that they are a part, they from the very beginning have been a part of building what we have. So I hope that they take ownership uh, in what we do as a part of it, like a piece of CASA. Come, the CASA, the bricks of CASA are built uh, through the teacher's ideas and through the teacher's passions, and I hope they understand that. So from the very beginning, I've, I've tried to create that sort of culture. Okay, okay. Terry, you want to jump in real quick? I just want to say thank you. I mean, I'm listening to you, and you are coming from a place, it's truly from your heart, and it, it, it made me think about our gifts and our talents and that how the Bible speaks about us being given according to our abilities and our passion and our purpose. As I'm sitting here listening to you, I can't wait to see what the kids where they go, where they end up, how they do life. And I hope that parents who are listening, fathers, mothers, educators, um, retirees, in whatever life you're doing right now, take this back to, to the schools, to the children in the community, and do what you can because, you guys, it starts with our young people. We have got to find a way to let them see us doing this thing right, leading in all forms, we got to get back there. And I just, my hat's off to you. I say, can you come here? Can you bring Rodney here and start one of these schools here? Can you guys have another proposal? Because our kids need it. I can. I would love to come to your school and spend a day there. I would love to just spend a day and well, see I, this. Our, our- our doors, our doors are always open, Tammy, to you and, and to anyone else. You know, there, there are great people uh, doing great work all over the country, um, and I'm really excited. Uh, you know, Roddy mentioned we met via Twitter. Uh, I've met educators all over the country and all over the world via social media doing great work, and, you know, coalition building is key. And I know there are people where you are doing great work, and we just need to figure out, how to connect with them and, and build this, this national coalition uh, so that we can finally uplift and turn around our, our most needy community, communities uh, because they, they, they're all over. You know, we're, we're just scattered and we don't know each other. Um, and, and I think my work in particular this year, as much as I can, is to, is to connect with, with other educators. Um, and we were able to do that on Monday with a great MLK Day event uh, and we're, you know, we're organizing a June 4th Bronx Education Conference, uh, the first one that, that's happened in, in I don't know how many years. Uh, and I'm working with nine other local uh, schools to get that done and, and partnering with a, a local college. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's just about coalition building, collaboration, because there are people doing great work, and, and the more we can do it together, the more impact we'll have. I'm for sure, and that's what I think. People need to start joining together and helping each other in their in their in their areas. I think so many times we flip flop back and forth. Well, you have something great here um, that is working. You you've kind of did the legwork here, so in some areas you're able to join people together to create that body. I would say you you've already you already have that body. Now you just kind of need to see mm-hmm. the legs, the arms, the head, the ears, and all of that. And I wish we'd start looking at each other's um, abilities, passions, and purposes and things like that. And as I was listening to you talk about how you run the school and, and how it's all set up, I thought about our next next guest. 
who is making a living doing what he loves to do, but was told by educators that he would never be able to do what he to do his artwork and make a living out of it. He went against the grain, and I see you pushing those kids to do what they love to do. You're making a way for them to do that, and that will make their lives different, better, happier. So, again, I commend you. Whatever we can do from this end for you and, and the kids, please, and I hope one day that I do get to visit the school and see it in action. Absolutely. Thank you again uh, so much for having me. It's a great conversation. I look forward to many more conversations, much more dialogue and much more organizing uh, for our kids because it's going to be it's going to be fun and excited work while we're here uh, on this earth for sure. This is Rod, and I'm gonna I'm gonna jump back in here. Um, uh, um, I see that we have our next guest, um, but before you go. Uh, Mr. Bowman, uh, and, and if you can, uh, we'd love for you to stick around with us, but we do understand. Um, like I tell Tammy all the time, educators never go to sleep. We just take naps. <laughs> <laughs> True. But I do, but I do want to ask you this before you go. Um, as an educator, um, your, your work is never done. Um even if you're 100 years old, you're still an educator. But when you personally, when Jamal A. Bowman retires from education, how do you want to be remembered? <laughs> uh, good question. Um, how do I want to be remembered? I guess as someone who, who, who loved uh, loved children, loved the community, uh, loved the world, uh, and gave all he had uh, to to sharing that love uh, with the world. Uh, because I think love is the is the is the potion, it's the elixir, it's the thread, it's everything. And I and I think if we could we could share that love um, with each other, uh, we will in one generation will literally change the world. Um, so as someone who loved loved what he did, loved the kids, loved the community, and loved the world, and, and gave all he had to that. You you are one powerful one powerful man, and and, and I tell you, it, it, if it ever works out, man, I'd love to come and work at this school. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're gonna you know God willing, um, we're gonna we're gonna work together. We're already working. The work together has already begun, and this conversation is an example of that. Uh, and we're going to work together in some capacity as we move forward. I fully believe it, uh, and I'm looking forward to it. Me, you, Tammy, all of us, man, we, we, we're going to do it big. That's what we do, and it's great. I appreciate it, man. I'm so glad that we were able to get you on uh, for, for a very extensive interview. Um, I'm working on something now uh, that I'm – uh, um, I'm trying to put together for the fall, and uh, Tammy's going to uh, uh, help me with it. So if we can get you down here, man, in, uh, in Northern Virginia uh, this coming fall, that would be uh, a really good thing for for the children, for the community down here, um, because I think that your message uh, needs to be heard all over the world. And, and um, Tammy, um, uh, just something else. Notice that his answers were not political, um, as we uh, sometimes hear from, from leaders, especially in education. Um, 
it's very political, but you can tell that his answers were very genuine. You can tell that everything that he said uh, came right from the heart. Uh, he's a man who who, who loves himself. Uh, he, he's a man who who loves his wife. He loves his children. He loves his, his students. He loves education. Um, and just a passionate guy and, and not necessarily looking for, fat, for for any sort of fame, but just out trying to do the right thing, out trying to do um, what he's supposed to do. And, and that's something that goes a long way in my books. Um, before we move to our next guest, uh, Tammy, any final words? I just want to add to what you said by saying he's a man that has the, the same, he keeps the same mindset. And so often we try to be one person, again, er, I give, give thanks to Erica Murray, CEO to the Power of You, uh, in her book. Um, she said basically we need to figure out who we are and be that person and, and live your, throughout your passion. He's living from his heart. And you don't have to try to do that. I mean, that's, that comes easy. If you do that from the heart, it works. So he, he has the same mindset. I think that is one of the power, most powerful things said tonight is that I take the same mindset with me home. And that's leadership. That's, I mean, he's, he's leading as that man everywhere he goes from his character, from who he is. And so powerful, powerful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, and your words just gave me goosebumps, Tammy, because it, it really is all about that, that knowledge of self. You know, figure out who you are and what you stand for and just and just share it with the world, and you'll make the world a, the world a better place by doing it. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for the moment. If you can, stick around because you might you might want to hear this, this young man's story as well because, again, he was told by educators that, You'll never, you'll never make it being an artist. So, is this is this going to be a, a podcast or, or something? I'll be able to hear it uh, at a later date. Correct. Right? Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Cause I, I got to go help the wife with the baby, so I, I can't listen. All right, y'all. Have a good night. You Thank too, man. You. All right. All right. Bye. Uh, Tammy, I'm going to turn it back over to you uh, for our next guest. Um, I've already brought him in, and uh, we're going to let you uh, go ahead and introduce him. And uh, back to you. <laughs> well, let me say this. Well, are you there with us, Henry? Welcome. Hello. 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 How hey, are yeah. you? I'm great. How's everybody? Good, good. Thank you for hanging in uh, for that entire hour and listening to the interview. I think it's so appropriate to have the educator on who um, started a school and who allows children to come from, kind of live from where they are, live their passion, find out what it is that they want to do, and he tries to make it happen. So I thought about what what you do and how um, you were told that, you know, this might not work for you. So. I just want to, um, before we get started, can I just share what I was going to share with the world about how you really do lead? <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> I, I haven't even had a chance to share this with Rodney. But just so that it's told correctly, would you mind just sharing that story with, with everyone about how you do some of your artwork and why? How you got to see you got to share the story about how you kind of make your comic books come together 
We'll tell them the rest of the story, but just kind of tell them what you do to be my book. Well, my name is Henry Garden. I'm a full-time artist. I've been doing artwork for about 14 years as my profession. And one of the things that I do is I make uh, black superhero comic books. And uh, what Henry wants me to uh, embarrass myself and tell you is that I'm not very uh, left brain as far as the techno, the technology, the technology as far as like computer programs and, uh, and, and and the different means that people will scan their work in. So actually, I do things old school. So I actually go to a uh, computer and I type out my uh, words and I actually size into the paper and cut them out with the scissors and give me a glue stick and glue it right to the paper. <laughs> But it works. But it works. The moral of the story and the importance of the story is you do what you have to do with what you have to do it with. You don't let it stop you. And that is what leading is about. I'm going to find a way. I'm going to make a way. Even if it takes me an hour, two, three, four hours longer, I am going to make it work. I'm going to do what needs to be done. But see, I laugh at you, but again, I think that is so powerful and needed because some people would would allow that to hinder them and say, "Well, I have this gift, but I but I cannot do. I don't know about computers, or I have this gift, I don't have what it takes to make it work." So I laugh at you because it really is ancient, but it really is important because again, you did not let it. You are not letting it stop you. So, mm-hmm. that's I want to meet this teacher. I I I, I want to meet this teacher that says you couldn't do it. That's who I want to meet. Well, actually, it wasn't just my counselor. It was everybody that I talked to. <laughs> I mean, this I graduated back in 1982, and that's when computers was coming out. And you know, that was the big, you know, the starving artist. If you go into the art world, you know, you want to starve. So they were basically trying to give me. I guess good advice to follow the money and let your artwork kind of be a hobby. But, um, and actually I didn't go into artwork until like 17 years later. Uh, I didn't actually get into full-time artwork uh, until then. But, um, yeah, that's, they were just trying to do the right thing, I guess, in their own mind. Okay, so tell us, tell us exactly what you have, because you have a lot of stuff going on. Tell us what you're doing and, and kind of the mission behind it. Where where would you like to see this go? Because you, the, the information that you provided me with the plays and the clothing line of, and why. So kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what you're doing, and, and any other things you want to share. Well, I, um, I'm the kind of guy that always wants to know why am I here. And life, you know, when I look at the the vastness of God, and I look at the at life, and I think there's got to be more to this. You know, God had to have more in mind than this. You grow up and you get a job and you get a kid and wife and, you know, you see your grandkids and your great-grandkids if you're, if you're lucky, and you die, and, you know, and that's that. And uh, I started asking, you know, the, the basic questions of life. And one day I, I started doing these things that I call uh, uh, these little spiritual journals spiritual writing, and what I would do is I would ask myself a question, or I'd ask the creator a question, and I would just write out immediately what I heard, and I started living my life by these journals that I was writing, because I was writing where I wanted to be, but I would write from the position of being there, 
and I would seek how I did it. So I'd write kind of backwards back to where I am, where I would be at that time. And so one day I was sitting there writing, and I heard just out of the clear blue sky, you're going to get an art gift and won't be anything that you have to do to earn it. And so I thought, well, that's something I can test. You know, this is really coming from God, and, you know, this is something that I can, you know, I can't make this happen on my own. And so I literally went and I drew a picture, and uh, it was about the same level of skill I was on 17 years ago at that time when I graduated high school. So I said, okay, well, at least I know that I haven't lost nothing. You know, it was okay-looking picture. Well, the next day, I believe it was, this was September 1998, I felt something go from my top of my head all the way down to my waist, which is kind of odd because it stopped right at my waist and it wouldn't go away. And I thought, what in the world is going on here? And I, and, and I remembered what I had written. I thought, maybe this is that gift that I heard. And so I went and I drew another picture, and uh, it doesn't even look like the same artist drew it. And by the time the seven, by the time seven days was up, the feeling that 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 spiritual power that I was feeling, that was going from my head down to my waist, it kind of went all the way down and dissipated through the rest of my body, and it just kind of went away. So I went and I drew another picture, and it looked like a person who had been maybe in art school, maybe I mean I, I had like three different artists basically. And uh, from that point, I could do artwork, I could sing, I could play instruments, I knew how to write, write plays, I knew how to write books. It, it was pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty awesome experience. And I have been making my living uh, probably about three years after that, I could start making my living doing that. And one of the, probably one of the hardest professions to make your living in as far as art. Like the only one I can think of that's really... Uh, considerably harder to be a poet. So I, I have this particular gift going on in my life, and I wanted to use it for, you know, to help people. And that's why I'm so uh, deeply involved into positive black images. We, you know, we don't really have a lot of positive black imagery in uh, on the media, you know, on the streets. Everything that we see is always negative, negative, negative. And so I had to learn how to use the gifts that I have in order to produce, you know, a, a, um, produce, a, 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 I guess, ourselves as God sees us versus how the world has molded us and deceived us into seeing ourselves. Because that's really the biggest problem with, all the pro- with a lot of the things that's going on on the streets. We don't value ourselves because I don't really see any value in you. One of the reasons that I don't see any value in you is because I don't see any value in myself. If I saw the value in myself and I realized that you and I are one and the same, then I would be forced to see the value in you. And so we, so I feel like we need to have imagery, positive imagery. They say a picture's worth a thousand words. But we are way behind because we've had a lot of negative rap music that has basically molded our society into what we see today. So we, you know, so the, bad, the the quickest way to kind of catch up is to produce positive images of um, of, of I'm just gonna say positive images of blackness. Hey, let me ask you a question. How difficult was it for you to make that decision from um, the nine to five, so to speak, what people see as very solid? How difficult was was it for you to transform or to move over to? Um, you know, being that artist, pursuing 
your passion and pur- what you felt your purpose was? It wasn't difficult at all. I couldn't wait to quit. <laughs> I, I remember uh, my the, the guy that I was working with, my boss, I remember him looking at me and he said, you know, I have to admire you because I'm not willing to go out and pursue my passion. He said, I'm pretty dependent on this paycheck that I get. And uh, I remember talking to someone else saying that, you know, they admired me because they said that uh, I was willing to go out and, you know, do what I felt like I was called to do instead of, you know, working a job where the income was secure. And I remember looking at them and I said to them, I said, you know, I admire your boldness. I said, because you're doing something that you're not even supposed to be doing, depending that I mean, uh, uh, depending on that paycheck to always be there for you, but I'm doing what I was created to do. So of all the jobs set down, I believe that what God has given me is always going to make a way because God's in it, but God may not be in that job. I remember you saying that, and I and you said it a little bit different, which was so powerful because what you're basically saying is, I admire you for not really trusting God, what, what God, again, it goes back to the, the, the wise men being given um, their talents based on, you know, their abilities. And you basically were saying, hey, I'm taking what, I'm using what God has given me, and I'm trusting God in what so many people do, um, including myself. We, tr- we, we feel more comfortable with that nine to five, but inside burning because that passion is dying. But we're dying because we're not operating in that passion uh, and from that place. So I remember you saying that. I thought, wow, good answer. And I could just imagine what that person must have felt like and how the drive home was for that person. Because I feel like there's, there's something, we all have been given something to do. From God, and it, it eats at us, and it doesn't mean that you, if you want to have that nine to five, hey, have it, but don't stop because you'll find that's where you would leave the most doing the things that you love the most. So, Absolutely, I'm, I'm really big into purpose. I commend you for that. Now, the spiritual writing, um, I know that you talked about you have some plays in the work, and maybe a little bit down the road. Will any of your plays come from that spiritual writing that you were doing at that time? Uh, not necessarily in the in the format that they were put in, but the principles of life will be in the plays. You know, but the plays, you know, they're they're different types of plays. You know, they're more like um, you know, like, like general living or all of the plays that I write have a twist to the story that you don't see coming. Uh, you 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 know you think you know where it's going, but it's going to take a turn, and they all have a moral to them, of course. And it's more for just you know entertainment purposes. Um, I've talked to uh, one person and think do it and bounce an idea off of doing something that I don't think has ever been done before, as far as plays is concerned, uh, concerning um, the uh, 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 slavery, which I really don't like to get too much into the historical type of things too 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 much because sometimes I think that like we have Black History Month and we love to celebrate our fallen heroes, our, our heroes that have accomplished and that they're, they're gone. 
And we, we have Black History Month because we said it's very important for us to understand the foundation from where we come from. But the problem that I have with that is that we've been studying our foundation for I don't know how long. I know I've been studying the foundation ever since I was a kid. But until we learn to build on that foundation, you know, between this Black History Month and the next Black History Month, that's 365 days. Why can't we do something to create new history, uh, a, 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 a means to do something that's new and fresh instead of just going over what's already been done? Those, those, those men and women paid the price and did what they needed to do. It's time for us to step up to the plate and say, well, we appreciate what you did. We appreciate the foundation that you laid, but now it's time for us to build on this and do something, you know, and, and, and take this even, thing even further. What do you think keeps keep – um, the African American, the Black, coming together, unifying, and doing something. Because I keep, I continue to hear people say, "We need to do this. We need to do that." What do you think is, if you had to say, if you had to pick one thing, what would it be? If, if, if you feel that you could pick one thing. Well, oddly enough, lack of leadership. Le- leaders are always viewed as the people who are going to teach you or or teach you how to make the best of the situation at hand. You know, let me show you how to do this. Let me show you how to do that. But actually leaders, at least in my opinion, leaders are people who go out into foreign territory that we're not on yet. And then they say, hey, I've been out there. I'm coming back to get you. This is what it's like out here, and this is what we, this is what we can do. We can do so many more things out there than we can do right here. They take you beyond the norm. They take you beyond your 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 comfort zone. They take you beyond your normal uh, the normal system of things. So <clears throat> we we I guess we have to understand that it, it's not so much about what we can do as much as it is recognizing what we're in. Because if we if we recognize that we're in a system of white supremacy, then we realize that everything that we do is going to be under the subjection of white supremacy. But if we realize that, then we can step outside of that and say, let's build something of our own and really mean that. Instead of just saying, well, I built a business, but it's still under the the, you know, the rules and regulations of white supremacy. It has to be on our own Supremacy. We can't be afraid of words like black supremacy because if we, before things get balanced, things are going to get a little crazy. We're going to have to do a few extreme things to, in order to create a balance because we're so far behind. So we need to run way out there on the other side of that plank to get that thing to balance out <laughs> because, you know, it's like, a, it's like that little seesaw. I think that's what they're called when one guy's sitting on one end and the other guy's sitting on the other and you go back and forth. We're we're like sitting almost in, uh, on the other people's laps. <laughs> like we're just like two of us on one side. We need to run across the middle and go get our, our end and claim that for ourselves. We need to take a flag and stick it in the ground and say, "I claim this for black people, for my people." And I'm not afraid. I'm not ashamed to love my own. Being pro-black doesn't necessarily mean that I have to be anti-white, but I'm going to love myself and create a vision for myself. And I think that that's what the people on the street don't see in the leadership. They, you know, I mean, even if you look at Martin King and Malcolm X, they were willing to 
step out there and pioneer a, a, a place in life where we were equal. That was never that was never done before in this country. We were never equal. So they said, well, we're going to go out here and we're going to take you to a place where we're equal. I don't, they didn't make it, but that was at least the attempt. And to me, that's leadership, and that's why they have such a following behind them. And, and this is Rodney. I'm going to jump in here. Um, first of all, thank you so much for being on the show. And then also, I think that there are a lot of people, um, at least at least that I've run into over the past, I don't know, maybe 10 years, that could really benefit from your story, especially um, going outside of the norm and, you know, going against the grain. Um because oftentimes people are afraid to do things because, you know, they they, they fear the reaction of, of those that they are close to. Uh, and what you just said, uh, I have a question. What what are your thoughts on the, uh, since we're talking about leadership, and, and um, what, are, what are your thoughts on the things that you've seen here recently, especially uh, with the protests that have been taking place, um, that took place. Let me let, let me rephrase that because they are no longer taking place. And Tammy mentioned that um, in the in the last hour. What are your thoughts on these protests that were so um, present um, a few months ago that have now pretty much been uh, done away with? Okay, I'm going to answer your question. First, it's going to sound like I'm not addressing your question, but I am. I believe, I believe that one of the reasons that sports was made to be so great in this country, or really around the world, but in this particular country of America, sports is really, really great. And um, I believe that one of the reasons for that is because men naturally have a warrior nature inside them. Men love to defend and we love to protect. That's just who we are. When you take a country that is basically, and I'm not, now, I'm going, now I'm going to talk about black men. I'm a single black man. When you take a country that is basically being ruled over by white supremacy, let's just say, we have to do something with that combative nature inside of us. So what we do is we, we, we allow our, 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 our warrior nature to live out vicariously through our sports figures. This is why we get so excited when we watch the game. And it's like the game, listen, we people know the stats and the, the history and who won the Super Bowl this year, and they're all into that, putting their money down on it and everything else, so, uh, dream teams, all these different things. I don't really follow sports, so. but, but <clears throat> by that same token, it diffuses the warrior nature. It gives you something to, to, to channel your warrior energies in instead of – channeling it towards the true problems. Likewise, when something bad happens, like when someone gets killed, Michael Brown in the street, Trayvon Martin, we get that overload. And if and if and if it's not if 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 you don't uh be careful, that overload will cause us to do something constructive. But because we've been programmed so long to be self destructive that energy when we see, oh, he got shot in the street, and we that energy rises up in us, the first thing we do is we start to destroy our own property. 
where we start to protest and we start to march because we are taught that Martin Luther King taught us this is how you handle the situation. When things go wrong, you march. We are some of the most marchingest folks you'll ever see in your life. And that's why, one of the reasons why they run all over us, because they're not afraid of a marching people. Okay? Why would you be afraid of a peaceful marching people? There's no reason to be afraid. There's no reason to meet your demands. And so when we see our, our demands are not being met by the peaceful marches, then the next thing you know, we start tearing our own environment up, and then we start going to jail. And then after that, once we get that, that little bit of excessive violent energy out of our system, then we return back to the norm, we go back to work, we go back to the game. And I and I and I think that's why, you know, we're we're, we're that's probably the reason why you're seeing these ebbs and tides and the marches and the, the rioting and the picketing and everything else and often it just kinda of comes to a a dead standstill. I really don't think that most people really think they're gonna get change. Because if you really believe you're gonna get change, you don't ask for it. You demand it, and, and the way that you demand change is not by marching and all these different things. The way that you demand change is you set up a completely different uh, criteria, and this is what we want. This is what it is. Here's the, the six points, and we're going to have that, and we're going to stay in your face until we get this. But just simply marching and saying justice, 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 what does that really mean? I mean, we never really define a lot of the things that we stand for. We just say general statements, justice for Trayvon. Okay, what does that mean? Put the one guy or put, put Zimmerman in jail, the one guy, we're gonna be, is that going to satisfy the, the mob by putting one man in jail? Or is there really a, a problem with the entire system that's killing all the Trayvons? That takes another that, that means we have to kind of rewrite things. Wow. Um, you know, I'm going to go back to what you said. You answered the question, uh, why? I think I asked you why, what is it? And you said lack of leadership. What do you think about the lack of people being willing to follow? Because it seems to me that um, I, I get the I get the slavery thing. I, I get it when I, I hear people say, you know, slavery still is today, um, and all that. I get that. But there's some things and y'all bear with me here. There's there's some things that we can no longer blame slavery on. Okay. We we can no longer say that slavery um makes me do these things. So I, I get the slavery part, I get the mentality and the mindset, I get all of that. And the reason I'm going to say I'm going to say this, and I'm going to give you an example, because we, you, Rodney, and I, and probably some of the ones who are listening as well, we did not go through, we have not gone through nearly what people in slavery went through. And I'm going to go back to one of my favorite people, Frederick Douglass, who said, "They can have my body, but they will never have my mind." And as Rodney says, he had people to fight just for an opportunity to be able to read, and now we have to fight to get people to read. Um, what do you say about the people who are who don't really want to follow? And if, and if they do, it's because, hey, what can I get out of this? And if there's nothing I can get out of it, I'm not following and I'm not going to help you 
get there either. I don't even want to follow you and get off where I'm supposed to get off and lead in that capacity. If I can't follow you to the end of your journey where we, you are as successful as you are, I don't want to follow. I'm not going. I'm not helping you. What do you say? Tell me what, what your thoughts are on about that, about people not being willing to follow, even to the point where they are they could follow, like with you. You have a gift and passion in art. So what if you're not you're, what if what if you can follow someone or someone led you there and you had to get off at a certain place where maybe you don't own the art or you don't do the play, but you are the man who, who puts up put the artwork together and all of that. It's just people don't seem to want to operate in their gifts and their passions and understand that that may not mean um I'm not leading. It's ego stuff. Well, I would say definition of terms. I would say that when I step out into a position of leadership, that within itself can turn some people off because when you step out into a position of physical leadership where you literally are saying, hey, follow me, um, people are going to offer rebuttal. Uh, People don't always trust the person who says follow me, and with good reason. We had a lot of fallen leaders that were corrupt. Uh, a lot of people are like, well, I ain't trying to follow no man. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to follow my own mind or whatever else. Uh, this is why the best way for a leader, or at least one of the best ways for a leader to lead, is he's going to lead you back to who you are. Because once once you find out your own potentials and how you actually fit as a very important, critical piece to the puzzle, you're not just some sheep, you're not just some number out there, but you are literally a critical part to what we're doing. And if you don't do your part, the thing might not work right. Once that the burden of importance and responsibility is put upon a thug or the guy that doesn't think very highly of himself, you know, or the, the, the lady that's stressed out because she keeps getting hooked up with the wrong guys or she, she's not married and she feels like her life is passing her by, Okay, she's gone to church and she's done this and she's done that and she's done this religion and that religion, but there's still this void in her. The void is purpose. If you don't understand the criticalness of your purpose, let me let me give you an example of how how powerful purpose is. I came home one day, and across the street from me there was a young man laying on the sidewalk, and there's some people standing around him. So I walked over to see what was going on. He's over there with his eyes rolled in the back of his head, looking like he's having a seizure. Now, I'm not no medical guy. All I know is faith. You know, all, I, all I know is, okay, you ain't going to die on my watch. That's all I know. Because if you, if you were going to die, you'd have died before I got here. But God's not going to let you see, let me see you over here and just die in front of my face. What would be the purpose in that? I need that in my memory. So I walked over to him, and I asked the people around, I said, what's going on? The two people that were there decided that they was being very, very, Leery, they, they, you know, they wasn't being very forthcoming with the information because they were saying something about that he had took something that he shouldn't have took at some party that they had just left or something like that. And I guess they didn't want to be connected to what was going on. I said, you know, this guy's dying here. I said, why don't you tell me what's going on? Well, I'm just saying he took something he shouldn't have took. That's all I'm going to say. So I looked down at the young man laying on the sidewalk, and I said to him in a very, very loud voice, I said, young man, I said, you aren't going nowhere. I said, because you have a purpose in your life to fulfill, and you're not taking the easy way out. 
As soon as I said that, his eyes opened up. He stopped breathing all crazy, and he sat up. By that time, the, the paramedics pulled up, and they started treating him or whatever they needed to do. I went on home after that point. I felt like I was done. Purpose. I mean, I, 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 don't, I can't think of any other reason as to why he was, his eyes would roll back down and his tongue, would, whatever he was doing, would just immediately stop, that he would sit up like nothing was wrong with him. Unless I triggered that thing that is within all of our souls, that spark that comes from God that says, I put you here for a reason. Something, something about what I said triggered that in him, and I think that's what it, he needed. See, we need a trigger. You know, back in the 60s, it was easy to get a trigger. Martin Luther King and Michael Mack, they had easy triggers because oppression was right in your face. But see, now everybody's friends and everybody is just, you know, everybody's everybody. We can go where we want to go. We can marry who we want to marry. The oppression is not quite, but it's starting to come back now because the police are starting to kill us. And so now people are now starting to see the need for something. We need leadership. We need leadership. We want to talk about, we want to put down Reverend Al Sharpton, but as soon as something happens, we want Reverend Al Sharpton to show up. Why? Because he's the only thing we got. We got a nation full of millions of people, but Al Sharpton is the only thing you got? All these men around here and Al Sharpton is the best you can do? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to put down Al Sharpton or Jesse Jackson, but surely we have to understand that these men can't be everywhere. But we are everywhere. We are our brother's keeper. And until we realize, you know, that and, and step up to the plate collectively, we are more than any of these men can be individually. So when we talk about leadership, it's not about a singular man coming out there, but it's about a singular man letting the masses of people know that we need to march together. As a this is Rodney, and, and, and Harry, you are, are speaking some very powerful things. Um, I, I think a lot of times we forget that. We, we, we forget that the reason why the reason why Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson um, and some of the others are given the microphone is because whether you like them or not, they are willing to take the microphone. They are willing to express their views or how they feel or, or whatever that may be on their hearts. They are willing to, to, to stand in front of a camera. They are willing to, to, to speak into a microphone and express how they feel, whereas most of mo- most of us uh, will back down. Most of us uh, will have conversations privately, but then when we get in front of uh, the people who we need to express our views to, we we tend to get a little quiet. All of a sudden, you know, we agree with our oppressors. We want to support uh, those who are keeping us in bondage. Whereas Al Sharpton. Regardless of how you feel about him, Al Sharpton will get up there and say, hey, you know, I don't like this or I don't like that, you know. And and, and I even think about the people who, who have said, um, I saw on social media people were saying, well, two New York cops were shot and killed. Where is Al Sharpton? And, and, and my first thought was, Al Sharpton is where you were when Trayvon Martin was killed. Al Sharpton is where you were. When Michael Brown was killed, now Al Sharpton is waiting on you. Al Sharpton did what it was that Al Sharpton thought that Al Sharpton should have should have done, but now where are you? 
You know, people, you know, the conversation completely changed when the shoe was on the other foot. And I don't care who you are, we can all agree that no one should lose their life senselessly. No one should lose their life unless it's God saying, hey, it's time for you to go. But being realistic about it, being honest about it, Notice how the conversation changed. We hear about police officers doing crooked things all the time, but do you think that one time anyone thought to say, well, those cops uh, deserved it, those cops were thugs, those cops were crooked? Nope. People jumped to their defense. But when these young black males were murdered, it was, well, he was a thug. Did you see his Facebook post? Here's what he did. Here's what he was caught up in. They dug until they found something. And those are the things that we need to start paying attention to. Those are the things that we need to start speaking out about. And, you know, while we're talking about leaders from the past, Martin Luther King didn't care about monetary things. Martin Luther King's whole mission was freedom, justice, equality. You couldn't buy his mission. You couldn't put a price tag on it. But I think about, you know, you mentioned sports. I think about the L.A. Clippers last summer. Well, no, we, 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 we can't boycott the way we want to because we need those paychecks. So, so how mad are you is my question. How mad are you? You said, how are you to argue? Yeah, I mean, with those guys, I mean, you know, apparently there was a limit to to their feelings. Well, you know, let me say that um, we have a lot of strategies that we try to implement. I think that this has probably been, they they did the uh, black boycott on, on Black Friday, and they said it kind of weakened the sales of, uh, the sales that were anticipated or whatever. We we have to be very careful in what we do. There there are some things that, okay, the reason that we boycott, the reason that we march, the reason that we protest is because we feel as though that the powers that be are breaking the laws. They're not honoring the laws. That's the whole purpose. And those laws are directly affecting us that they're not honoring in very negative ways but even unto our deaths or imprisonments or whatever. So <clears throat> when we want to play the boycott game and hit the white man in his pocket, okay, we're hitting corporations in their pockets and, you know, we, we're trying to stop, you know, the sales. We're trying to put the money back into the black community, which kind of doesn't really make <clears throat> a whole lot of sense when you consider that most of the people in the black community are going to take the extra money that they got and put it right back into the same community. Or neither doesn't make any sense unless we're going to make buying black a lifestyle instead of just something that we're going to do on this one day. So when we look at the strategies that we're using and we realize why we're doing it, then we have to ask ourselves the question, is it wise to boycott over a black cause because people are violating the law if they turn right around and can say, okay, I'll tell you what, if you want to play that game, 
then let's do this. Why don't we fire every black person that is working at a white establishment? Now let's do that. She's well, they can't do that. That's breaking the law. But you understand, the reason that we're boycotting is because they're breaking the law. So you see, this this that that's that that's redundant. The reason that you're doing these things is because they're breaking the law. This is why I, I suggest that what we should do, or at least one of the things that we should do, is that we need to, you know, we, we, well, let's put it this way. We we talk about establishing businesses, right? Uh, we need to get away from working for people and, and begin to establish our own business. One of, the, one of the reasons that I don't always advocate that is because a lot of the things that could be answers for us are not answers for us right now because we don't have the discipline. You know, we you, you can't walk up to a thug and just tell him you need to just start a business. That thug needs to, he does need to go to work. You need to go work a job and understand discipline. You need to understand getting up at 8 o'clock and being there at 8.30. You need to understand that because if you don't have certain disciplines, your businesses are going to fail. If you don't have a work ethic, your businesses are going to fail. So you need to use work as a means to develop the uh, the, the the principles and the, and the um, the disciplines to be able to have your own business. When you have your own business, you don't answer to anybody but your client. So nobody's going to tell you to get up out the bed. Nobody's going to tell you to put in that late night. If you don't get up out the bed, the client's going to be sitting there at the coffee shop waiting on you to deliver the product, and you're going to be still at home in bed asleep or hungover from drinking last night. See, or trying to or trying to do your work in a in a, in a hungover state because you don't have nobody. You know, you you're your own person. You're your own accountability. You're not accountable to nobody but yourself. These things need to be worked out, and I think that once again, purpose is what works these things out in us when we begin to understand the value of what God has put in you. Wow, I don't even know. You guys have covered so much. <laughs> 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 I, I didn't. I didn't hear what you said. I said you guys have covered so much in in that going back and forth. Um, I'm almost lost for words. <laughs> well, I, I mean, uh, speaking speaking, uh, speaking of, of of speaking of words, this, this is something else that we we as a people need to understand. We, I think everybody who has ever read the church or read a spiritual book has heard that death and life is in the power of the tongue. We yeah. we say things, but we don't really believe them, right? You know, it sounds good. If we really believe that death and life is in the power of our tongue, then we would treat all the things that we say as if they were prayers that we were anticipating coming to pass. Okay. So. When I say, when I call you an N-word, in my opinion, the N-word is the total summation of everything that we've ever come through negatively and everything that they would ever want us to be in a negative sense, all wrapped up in one word, past, present, and future. (laughs) So when I say that, I have a rich history of destruction in that one word. So when I call my kids this and my wife this and my girlfriend this and my mama this or whoever, we're cursing Ourselves. That's not a term of endearment. That's a term of destruction, and it poisons the heart, and it makes my images of you very blurry that I can't see you clearly. 
because it's a muddy, it puts a, it superimposes on top of you a very muddy image that God never made. And so when we speak things, you know, even when we're trying to do good, we have a tendency to curse ourselves with our words. For example, you'll hear people say, we need to do something about our youth because our youth are killing themselves and these babies are having babies and, and, and there's no good black men out here and, and, and they're either single or, I mean, either they're married or they're gay or they're this. We, 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 we listen to what you're saying. And then you wonder why you don't get a good black man is because you have chased them away with your words. You're not vibrating the good man to you. You're vibrating the very man. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just really big on words because I think the co-creation was made out of words. We are made out of words. God spoke us into existence. And so we're, we're a word-based creation, and we respond to words. We're made in the image and likeness of God. God speaks, and then he does, and that's how we do. We speak, and then we do. So whether, whether it's, I'm going to get up tomorrow and go to work, then you get up tomorrow and go to work. Well, I'm going to kick your butt, and then you start to swing it. <laughs> but you say it first. <laughs> No, I was just going to say, you know, I, I, you're so right. I was, I was reading a, a book and this has been some months ago and I was actually looking for um, some encouraging words for someone else. And in, in reading this book and it was a very short read, but it was talking about the power of I am of really understanding when, when you're saying I am and it made me, it put me on such a frenzy, and I don't I do not do it as often as I would like, but it, it does make me mindful of when I'm saying I am. So, for example, instead of saying I am tired, um, I'm trying to say I am going to get some rest. And it, it's mm-hmm. like you're speaking. We don't really, like what you just said, we don't really recognize the energy, the vibration that we're bringing into our lives with the words that we're speaking, if we truly believe that the power and death is in that tongue and, and, and words have power. But, again, we say a lot of things. People get caught up in, in, in speaking. Um, even with leadership, there's a lot of mm-hmm. – if you would look, look at social media and things like that, you would think that a lot of people, many people are leading in very special ways in many ways. But we get so caught up in, in saying those words, posting those words, and now, okay, let me sit back and, and just gloat in it. But nothing is happening. You're not helping anyone to change their lives. Your lives are really not changing. So, you know, leading, that's a, that's, a, that's a place to lead, people. Just start with your words. Speak power into your life so that you can live. It's like what you were saying about your writings, how you kind of wrote backwards. Let me create this. Let me make this happen and figure out how I got there and now do this. It's about finding what works for you and making that happen and not giving in to what you know was not working. Because we all can look back and say, hey, that didn't work. So why would we want to go back to doing the same things or speaking the same words? So, go ahead, I was just going to say that um, when when you think about faith, the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. And so I don't think people realize the impact um, going along with what um, Henry said. I don't think the people realize the impact of their word because what you tend to believe in, uh, what you tend to believe is true, 
a lot of times it comes from the things that you hear, and that's why uh, I believe that you know we we when we say that man like that person lies so much that they that they believe their own lies. Well, they've heard their lies enough to where now their lies have actually become the truth to them. Their lies have actually become facts to them because they're so far away from the truth because all they've heard is their lies. And so now that has built up that faith in them that, man, I really am this great father. I really am this great leader. And the whole time it's like, well, you're the only person that believes that. So I think that, you know, a lot of times, you know, we speak things and don't really realize the impact and the and the power of our words. And so I'm so glad that, that Henry brought that up. Yeah, you know, uh, the reason, you know, we went through, a, I guess, a positive confession movement where we went around trying to say positive things, and it didn't work for a lot of people. You know, we, we for example, I mean, uh, we, um, we've been calling ourselves kings and queens years, right? The reason we called ourselves kings and queens is because we needed an emotional boost. We needed a, we needed something to make us to make us feel good because we were told we were just nothing. So we jumped to almost one of the highest rungs and started calling ourselves kings and queens, and it felt good. But we didn't believe it in our heart. And and but but we said it because it sounded good. It sounded right. It, it was a whole lot better than ghetto rat, right? <laughs> so we said kings and queens. Kings and queens have thrones and they have land and they rule over things. Well, we don't do we don't have any of that, but that don't seem to bother us when we're still calling us kings and queens. As a matter of fact, there's a movement right now where they're calling each other gods. But the thing about it is, there's a spiritual discipline that comes with a covenant with the Most High. We 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 have uh, we we're, we live in a fast food generation where we want everything now and quick and whatever else. You know, I, I took martial arts for many years, and, I, and there's a big difference in how people train in some of these schools today and how we used to train. You know, we used to take things. We, we, we practiced the techniques until it was, a, it was a part of the fiber of our being. That reverse punch became us, you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and, it, and, it, and it just happened to snap out before you even knew it. We had an inner warrior in us that we were training, actually that we were, we were releasing. And so... Spirituality today has become more of a fast food. We want what we want, and the only reason I came to God in the first place is that I didn't want to go to hell, and I needed my life fixed. We, we, and, and that's really two terrible reasons to come to God. The reason we should come to God really should be because He has need of us, and we don't think in terms of God having a need. God has need of people to fulfill His plan or His purpose in the earth, and and this is why I came to you. Not going to hell and being blessed is just a side benefit of it, but the most important thing is that I please the one who created So when God, when I'm going through my ups and my downs and my ins and my outs, it's because I'm not really doing that heart work to get the word that he spoke into my heart. It's just in my head. I got it memorized. And so, I, I, it, it, you know, when, I, when I'm going through something, the word of God says, you know, he that's in Messiah is a new creation. The old things pass away and behold, all things become new. No matter what I'm going through, if I get up at 2 o'clock in the morning, open up that verse, it says the same thing. God's word never changes. That's why I believe that he had it wrote to give us a teaching right there, that what I said about you will always be. When I'm going through stuff, even when I'm cutting up, 
if I go, I, the, the, that verse don't change. It don't say, well, Henry, because you did this, you know, everybody is still a new creation in Messiah except Henry because he's been cutting up. The word don't change. <laughs> it still says the same thing. And if I get on board, and, and the reason that it says the same thing is because it's eternal. So if I get on board with what the word said about me, if I get on board with what, what the word said about his people, which are us, and I begin to speak what he said about my people, irregardless if we're killing ourselves, irregardless if we're stealing and robbing and cheating and everything else, I'm going to keep my confession about who we are in line with what God said because that's the only way that anything is going to change. Because every time, because if the enemy is doing stuff in our midst and I keep repeating what the enemy says, I'm going to keep getting, if I keep repeating what the enemy does, I'm going to keep getting a repeat of it over and over and over. I'm going to keep feeding that same thing. You know, <laughs> if you want to lose weight, you quit putting the fat in your body, right? You put vegetables and everything else, and you change the diet. So if we want to change what we see in our society and in our community and among our people, we have to change the diet that we're feeding ourselves through our words. We have to cut out the fat, cut out the lack, cut out the, the curse. Devastation and the darkness and the, and, the, and the accusations and everything else, and start speaking life to one another. You know what? And I and I, I think I might have misquoted the last parable. I think I might have threw something in there, but but you guys knew what I meant. But but this one, I'm, I'm I've been so going deep into my word, and for whatever reason, I feel like I'm reading for the first time again. Like I'm getting new stuff. But what you just said reminded me of the, the, the parable that talks about the sower, you know, explaining the sower, and it says that those who will receive the word, but it's quickly coming, it's quickly taken away because it has no root, no substance, basically, basically, and I think that's in Mark and Matthew. But it makes me think about that because there's a verse in there that says um, those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit some 30-fold, 60-fold, and so on. And that makes me think about that one, how because we're hearing it, we're saying it, but, again, I think people are getting caught up and it's giving them, it's it's feeding them enough to just keep talking and we're not doing. There's there's no substance coming. There's no fruit bearing from our words, from our trees, so to speak. Um, And I I like the analogy you used. Well, you bought that into an aspect because, again, we get caught up in the hype of feeling or just saying, hey, we're kings and queens, not really knowing or saying, hey, there's nothing there's nothing behind this. There's nothing behind what this means, what it means to be a king and what it means to be a queen and what comes with that. So and really, I We're going to run over. Um, if you're listening online, please call in now, uh, 818-691-7406. Eight one eight six nine one seven four zero six because once we go past um, ten o'clock Central Time, eleven o'clock Eastern Time, uh, you won't be able to tune in online. So please call in. Um, again, the number is eight one eight six nine one seven four zero six. Sorry, Tammy, just wanted to get that out of the way before 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 ten o'clock. No, thank you for remembering that. And I want to um, make sure. Henry, that we give all, all of, because I don't think we've even touched on some of the stuff that you're doing. You got you have so much going on with the plays. You didn't talk about the clothing line and how you um, how you are incorporating or 
projecting, having those plays and doing something. What you, what you, all the things you told me were just, it just like made my mind spin and like, wow, I can go forward and I can almost see this the effect it would have on the community and how it would help people. Um, so without giving your vision away to some of the wrong people, tell us a little bit about what you are working and how people can find you, what kind of, uh, I guess, assistance, if any, that you're looking for, where you're trying to do all this. Give us as much information without giving the plan away. Well, uh, first of all, if you want to reach me, I'm going to give you both my phone number and my email. My my website is uh, under construction. I do have a website, but it's not the website I'm going to use. Uh, so I'm going to give you that information now. My my phone number is a public number for business. It's 330 Four zero nine four. My email is Henry H E N R Y Garden G A R D E N like you plant a garden. Art A R A R T at Yahoo dot com. And if you want to see just a really really small example of my artwork, it's www dot Henry Garden Artist. Dot com, and like I said, that website is under construction. <clears throat> um, as as far as the vision, um, I, I have noticed that black people have excelled in many many areas. I'm we 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 playing tennis now. You know, we all in the you know we doing some things that we never did before in golf and excelling in it. But the one area that we have had trouble in excelling has been in the comic book field. For some reason, Marvel, DC, and these major corporations do not want to have a prominent, iconic black superhero to invade our households. Because a, a black superhero gives the idea of a black savior. It also gives the idea of a, of a black man that's saving the world instead of being saved. And there's tons of black heroes out there. There's hundreds of black superheroes. But every time they end up helping a sidekick to save the world, it's usually that means that the world and all of this white supremacist practices will just continue on. So they never address the real issues for black people. They just stop the planet from being devoured by some monster or alien. So one of the things that I wrote was, that, you know, because I've always stayed before God about my people. I'm, I'm really into my people. And one of the things that I wrote one day is that the thing that you're asking me, or the thing that I was asking God to, you know, to deliver us and, and, and restore us back to him and so on and so forth, so that we can rule rule in righteousness and set an example for the earth. I mean, that's, I, think that's, I believe that's our purpose, is to lead, to lead in spiritual things and provide a life for the nations to follow. And I'm just, I, this is what I believe in my heart. And one day I was writing, and I heard that that which you ask of me will be done through comic books. And I heard that years and years ago. And so I didn't really think of it much too much. Well, as of lately, I've got a concept for a comic book. It is a, it is a, um, it's actually a black Hebrew king. <laughs> he starts off as a king. He doesn't start off from the hood. He doesn't start off as a dope boy. He starts off as a bona fide king that has a kingdom. And basically, he comes to America, and 
he's on a talk show and everyone's asking different questions from a, from a panel of different people from different walks of life about what is the solution for black America and blah, blah, blah. And what he says is that we need to go somewhere where to a place that has never been oppressed because every time we look around us, everything that we see is just a trigger for everything that we've been through. And it takes us right back to where we started from. So we need to go somewhere where we can have a fresh start. And one of the panelists says to him, there is no such place that exists. And he said, yes, it does. He said, I have purchased an island, and I'm asking black America to come over to this island and to build. You said you're kings and queens. Let's see how you would build your world. Let's see how you would do things if you had no handouts, if you don't have the breast of white society to feed you anymore. How would your world look? How would your schools look? What would you teach what would you grow? What would you eat? How would you do your toilet system? How would you see everything is now on you? And if you don't build it, then it will be done. So this is an opportunity for us to broaden our horizons back towards our purpose without preaching at people, without being some physical leader, but putting it in a position, well, putting it in a form of fantasy, a superhero, because people have a tendency to let the guard down there. And then because that's all, it's just a comic book. But it, but it also has study books to it. And one of the things that uh, Tammy had brought up about the clothing line is I want the comic book to not just be a comic book. I want the comic book to be a movement. You know, I want, for example, when the, the purpose of the comic is to make it into a movie, which, of course, will, will provide jobs and so on and so forth. But one of the things that we will do is the, the hero was going to go back to his kingdom and he's going to grab some women and bring them to America to teach the women in America on this island, I should say, uh, how to be godly women. But it's not preachy. It's not a preachy book at all. It's just just, just, just common thing. But the dresses or the outfits that these women wear are very ladylike and they speak very much of the godliness and the spirit of a woman instead of just her physical body. So when the women are sitting there looking at these dresses and stuff in the audience watching the movie, and they're going, girl, look at that dress. Well, I love that hat. That, 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 that's sharp. Well, there will be a catalog made available to you where you can actually order those dresses. But the women that are wearing those dresses speak of royal and, and, and morality and righteousness and holiness and godly women, you know, so therefore, when you when you when you buy that dress, everybody's going to know what that dress represents. So you couldn't be out in the club twerking with it, all right? <laughs> so <laughs> you wouldn't speak of that energy. <laughs> so the very clothing line itself would represent a certain state of mind. We need to make morality cool again. We need to make morality the end thing. That now instead of wanting to be ratchet, we want to be righteous. You know what I'm saying? And, you know we. <clears throat> We want to, you know, the, the 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 character's name is Yehuda. It's a Hebrew word. It's really how you pronounce the term. It's really how you pronounce the the, um, the word Judah. There are no J's in the Hebrew or the Greek. They the, the, they're pronounced Y. So the tribe of Judah is really pronounced Yehuda, and that's what his name is. So I would like to start a movement of women that say, "Hey, I want a man like Yehuda, who's holding it down, handling his business, treats a woman right, so on and so forth." You see. And then there'll be popular female characters, and so people will find whoever they can identify with. But just not to go too long. One of the other things that I wanted to say about it is that in issue one, the people from America come across 
to this island just as they are. So he's not looking for the cream of the crop. He's looking for anybody that will come. So on this island, you have dope addicts, you have gay people, you have uh, child molesters, you have everything that you can think of coming to this island, and Yehuda has to deal with all these people as they are. So by the time you get to, say, issue 15, you'll begin to see, you know, they won't still be in that state. They, you know, you'll begin to see everybody progressing and maturing and growing. You'll see the island, the first attempt that they did to try to build it up, not knowing much. Then you'll see another attempt until eventually it will become a beautiful island. But they'll go through their trials and tribulations and having to work together and being, you know, button heads and so on and so forth. So you get to grow right along with the character. So whatever character that you relate to, you'll grow right along with that character subconsciously. You'll be advancing within your soul, you see, because I'm, once again, I'm touching that vibration inside you that says this is where you need to be anyway, you know. So it's it's, it's a lot more to it than that, but that's the gist of the, of the idea. I do, I do want to say one thing because, and I totally get what you're saying about and, and, and we're saying the same thing, but here's 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 what I I'm trying to focus more on and get people to see. And you brought up about the comic book. Um, I remember our our two speakers last week, and he one of them mentioned that uh, a person said, "Hey, you know, great great job you did on um, you know the thirty jewels," but he said basically was saying, but you put it in a book, um, basically saying that we don't uh, read or and, and buy books and things like that. And I wonder how much of, uh, not saying all, because I do know that the system, system is not broken. We talked about that with the money situation, and it's not broken when it comes to um, a hidden agenda for controlling our minds through television and so forth. But I must say, again, and I'm going to go back to what I said, it comes a time when we have to stop, um, I'm going to even say blaming the white man, slavery, and all, and, and some other things. Because I wonder, when I go into comic books, I, I, actually Brandon was, was a lover of comic books um, in his younger days. And I can tell you, we've been into many comic places and very few people look like us. And I, and I wonder if sometimes when we go, when you go to people and you want to present your your comic books or things that they think, hey, who who who's going to buy it that looks like you? Who's going to buy it? And so I'm saying this, not that I think this way, but I'm going back to what you said, the diet. We have to, we got to, if you want change, you got to look at and use the great analogy with the body. If you want to feel better, if you want to lose weight, then you, can, you can't just, Speak it all the time. You got to put some action behind your speaking and, and, and change that diet. I say that that I love the way you broke it down because we got to do that in every area of our lives. If we want that goes back to that leading and being able to follow. If leading in your area is putting those comic books together, regardless of how you do it, we won't go back there. But if if leading <laughs> is is that for you then we should be able to support you and follow you in that. But just like the, the doll, that, and I don't know if you guys remember this case, but they talked about the Target um, where they had the white female dolls with books and they had the black female dolls. Same doll, but just the black female doll didn't have um, the book. Now, do I think that's wrong? Absolutely. But what I, what I got out of that is what 
people are continuing to say, and not just white people, black and white people are continuing to say is we don't read. Well, we know that's not true because I'm one. I love to read. I know Rodney loves to read. I'm sure you love to read. But we look at our kids, um, and and I can tell you very few people that I know really sit down and read to their kids or or, 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 and I need to change it, I guess, or I need to promote that more. But I want to put it back on us. I want to put it back and say, if you want different, Henry has put out some good information here. If, if you take nothing else away, take the fact that he said, change your diet. And not just when it comes to food. And if you can't do it for you, do it for your children. Figure out your why and make it happen. And so, because I, I, and I, Corey, I remember Corey being on Rodney, I don't know, if, and we'll bring it to close here pretty quickly, but I remember Corey saying on the show, maybe maybe um, we need a Hallmark card that says, hey, I'm sorry. And the reason I'm saying, it sounds a little harsh, you guys, but as long as we continue to blame slavery and the white people, guess what? In my opinion, we're looking for them to fix it. And ain't nobody going to fix it. Nobody's gonna nobody's gonna fix this. We have to individually fix ourselves, which you talked about that as well. And now I can turn around, I can help you get there, but I, I the blind can't leave the blind. And if it, if we do, we're all gonna end up the same place. And so I want us to come do I want us to come together? Absolutely. But I want you to come together with saying, Hey, slavery was back then and some people came through that. Here I am now wanting still to complain about that and use use it for a cushion. Again, I believe slavery still exists. It's just it's just a little bit more um professional, I would say. Absolutely. But you know what? I also say you can't touch me with that. Because I know what I want, I know what I can speak in my life and do in my life. And so I want us to really and even in that sense of speaking words, um we got to get out of that sense, too. Yeah, it existed. Yes, it's here now. Okay, what, we, what are we going to do? What are we going to do in, without talking, talking those words and talking about it? And so I really want people to let that soak in as well. And when his brother comes out with that comic book, let's see if you can put those words into action. Buy it. Read it to your child. When the play comes out, Go see it because see we have a tendency to only support one society says cha-ching, one society says hey we're gonna put a stamp on this one oh now we all for life we all for going to support we all for it we all for it but until while you're struggling trying to get there and you need that push here and there hey you might get it from a few right now I had this conversation on, about a little bit of yesterday. It's hard to find someone who looks like me to truly and genuinely support me. Truly and genuinely, it is hard. It's hard. Well, let me, so let me say that. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let, let me say that. <clears throat> I think the statement that if you want to hide it from black people, put it in a book, I think that basically was birthed really concerning a certain group of people. We always we, we've always known that the well read has read and we know that the people who are in school and are educated and so on so they read. I think what they're basically talking about is the people that's out there on the street that's really not doing much with their lives 
that if you try to reach them with the book, well, you're just trying to give them a book if they're not going to read it. Okay. okay. Um, this is what I have found to be true because I created I've created seven seven comic books, and I, the first uh, six excuse me the first yeah the first six I did as an experiment just to see if it would be read. And I gave it to everybody who was about, from about I think it was 12 years old to about, I think this lady, I think she's about 70. <laughs> everybody read it. And I know that they read it because when they came back and saw me again, they told me everything about it. And they were excited about it and wanted to know when the next issue was coming out. So, and that was quite a few people. Uh, another thing was I didn't charge for the book. I said, hey, look, this is what I do. I'm field testing this. Just give me whatever you think is worth to you. And only on rare occasions did I get, like, change. Most of the time I got anything from a $5 bill to a $20 bill. Now, and and, and, and I'm giving it to people that I know were selling drugs, and I know had shot people. I mean, I, I, I was raised in the hood, so I know people. And so I gave it to them just to see if they would read it, and they came back and read it. And I, re- I begin to realize that the key to getting black people that don't normally read to read is not only do you have to put them visibly in the reading material, but you have to make them the star of it. Because no- there's nothing worse than sitting there reading, run, see Dick, run, see Dick, run, and Dick don't look nothing like you. <laughs> and, and when I go to the store, and I go, for example, to the, the children's section, there is no black iconic children's book characters. How in the world, we've been here for over 400 years, how in the world did Dora get become an icon before any black character ever did? See, and so when I look through there, I see that a lot of the educational stuff is girl-friendly. There's not very much that a black young man, at least in the city that I am, I'm at, that can go in and, and, and see an iconic black male character that's making learning cool, okay? So, therefore, he feels left out, and then you wonder why the black male child is falling behind. He has no role models in his fantasy world that feeds him the energy of positivity concerning learning. And likewise, those same kids grow up, to become the thugs and the so on and so forth a lot of time, and they still don't have that positive role model. If you can't have one in your community, you can at least have one in your fantasy world. And 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 Superman, and I'm not trying to go long here, but Superman, people underestimate the power of Superman. If you really think about what's packed into Superman, Superman is literally the most is, is literally the Messiah. He was patterned after the Savior. He came from another earth, another planet. He crashed on to the earth, the same way the Messiah came from heaven. And he was raised by two normal parents, but he was the one that had superpowers. His name is Kal-El. El is the Hebrew word for God, like Elohim. He also, he was also the good old boy. I mean, he was this natural, his very nature was just a righteous soul. He also had an issue where he was, he died, and then he resurrected from the dead. <laughs> okay? So there's a lot packed into the image of Superman that a kid that looks like Superman can relate to. 
and when he when that kid sees Superman overcoming all the odds and looking like he about he about to be down and out, but then he pulls he deep reaches deep down within and pulls himself up on Wednesday day and all for the cause of good. That has incredible uh, uh, ramifications on his thinking, and 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 so he goes out into society with that plugged into his subconscious, and he overcomes obstacles left and right. Where the black kid has to constantly be told, "You are somebody, and you got to be twice as good and twice as this and twice as that." We got to constantly get this pep talk that a white kid never really had to get. Because he got all his pep, because his pep talk was built into his culture, and so, and, and and it starts with the kids. I mean, it starts with the cartoons, and it moves to the comic books, and it goes to the movies, and, and that's why simple hero movies are so popular. So I'm just I'm just saying we don't have nothing on that level. We don't have nothing to compare with that as far as a, as a superhero, or even a superheroine, and we definitely don't have any children's iconic characters that are black. And and you can see the devastating results of that that we probably would have never even connected back to cartoons. Yeah, you know, and I and I totally get that. And Rodney, jump in here, and I know we'll we're, we're going what twenty minutes over, so we get ready to bring it to a close. I totally get that, and I and I and I, I totally do. But you know what? As you were talking, I was thinking about how my grandparents, my cousins, my all that would sit and read. Read, well, have me read books and read books to me and have me read. And I can remember reading by looking at the picture. It didn't know the words, but I'd look at the picture and form um, what my thoughts together to say what I thought was on that. But it was, a, and even, and think about the time and the era um, that we were in at that, because I'm 46 now, so I imagine I was, I was old, young enough have a book and kind of see the picture and put some words that I thought could come together. And what I'm saying is, see, regardless of what happened back then, we got, that's what I want people to hear. That's what you have to do now because there's nobody in your home saying, Hey, you can't, you can't read to your child or you can't read. Or when I go to books a million, my hundred times uh, a year, I'm, I, I am disappointed that I rarely, I can't, and I, I hate to say this, I'm, I was actually sitting here trying to remember, have I ever. They have just a phenomenal children's section where you can go in and let your child read books or, to you for free. Rarely, I'm going to say rarely, I, I almost say I don't. I have never. I want to say that, but I'm just going to, for the sake of, of not really being sure, but I can tell you rarely. And see, and this, this, this is what I mean by when I say, I want people to take responsibility for what is now. What are you allowing? Just like if you're three, four hundred pounds and you want to lose weight, but every time I see you, you pulling up the McDonald's. You, I'm sorry, it ain't McDonald's fault. And and I'm I'm so afraid <laughs> if we don't say that. And I'm not get over is the wrong word because I will never get over it. Come out. They said you were free now. Let your mind go. If you can't read, hey, play the game. Tell me what you think this says. And see, I, I, again, I just I think if we not if we're not careful even with that. And I I want the comic book. I want it to come out. I want it to be in books a million and wherever else. But I want to see. I want to see more people look like me doing some different things, thinking differently. And I'm not saying there's there's it's not happening. 
What I'm saying is we are not seeing enough of it. And whether people are sitting back saying, well, you're not seeing it because, well, they're not doing this or they're not letting it in here. Well, then when they come around, don't make it to where you got to give them a book. Somebody's got to give you a book who needs to make a living at this because while you're giving them a book, they're going to the club and spend $20, $25 per night, if not more. And so I'm also sick of people wanting stuff for free. And if you don't have it, it's a different thing. But if you're choosing to eat McDonald's when you want to lose 40 pounds, different thing. And that's what I want people to because I'm afraid if we keep singing the song and bringing it up, let's bring it up saying, hey, you guys, we have came together and we have knocked this thing down. I want to talk about it in that room where we pull together at your place. I want to talk about it and say, remember when we were sitting there Monday night talking, went 30, 40 minutes over, but look at it now. And I want those people in the audience to say, hey, I'm not going to the club tonight. I'm going to support this brother with this play. And I'll pull that money out roughly. In the back of the comic book, there's going to be a a discussion list so that you can take the comic book and use it for a study group. Because they'll ask you key questions as far as, you know, how, how do you feel this island should be designed? What do you think should be the foods that are grown? And so on and so forth. Just to get you thinking about taking responsibility. And 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 an, and an answer uh, going along with what you're saying about staying out of the past and, and staying in the present. Yeah, the slavery was in the past, and and there are a lot of things that was set in motion that is affecting us to this day. But in order to get people to step out of something, you got to give them something to step into. And so what I'm what I'm what I'm, what I'm hoping that the comic will do was begin with with the creative uh, gifts of me and other artists and other writers and so on and so forth that will catch on is when we begin to illustrate and sing about and write about this new world that we're building for ourselves to create those images and those, and then we can talk about, and then we can get the, the educated to talk about how they would actually build it, you know, and get the nutritionalists to talk about how we, what we should eat. But now instead of it just being somebody ranting and raving about how we need to eat this and need to eat that, we need to stay away from this and cut your fat, blah, blah, blah. You actually have something to apply that to because you're going to apply that information as a blueprint towards this nation that we're building within this nation. So now when we get the money, because what I plan on doing is once we make the movie, let's say we make $20 million, $30 million, $100 million, whatever the father decides, we're going to take that money and then we're going to get online and say, look, the movie grossed X amount of dollars. This is what the movie profited. We want... Everybody, this is a collective group effort. We want everybody to take a poll. Which three cities do you want mm-hmm. us to see us pour this money into? Which three communities do you want us to see? Then once we pick the three communities, then we say, okay, we're going to build a school. How many people are available to teach? We want to provide jobs. We want to, we want to put stores in the community. In other words, we want to make this that when you, put, when you buy the comic book, you can literally see where that money is directly affecting you personally. I mean, it's good to send money overseas and, and, and feed the hungry, but you don't really see that. But to, take, to, to put your money into something that you can see you turn right back and hit you in the face and it feels like a summer breeze, you know, to see your people coming out of a situation and the more we write, the 
deeper the, the world becomes, the more the more detailed it becomes, the more we the clearer the blue the blueprint becomes for us to build on. And then you educators like the brother on the phone here, you know, if what would you really what would you really like to see taught in addition to what we're teaching? Well now you got a place to do it and ain't nobody gonna offer you no rebuttal because we built this. We call it the shots here. This is our thing. And then we ain't got to worry about what we came out of because we're gonna step into something that's even greater. But, somebody, right. but, but, but the way it starts is creating that foundation. It has to start with us actually having the, the vision because without the vision, we perish. And that ain't yeah. going to happen unless we have the vision for it. Wow. I think that it goes back to uh, fear, and, and, and I just wanted to point that out before, before we end the show. Um, I think that it goes back to fear, and I think a lot of times the reason why we do um, you know, sit back and a lot of times the reason why we don't um see more blacks active. Um, I think a big uh, a, a very huge part of that is fear. Um and then I was listening to um uh some of the uh, uh other radio shows, um whether they were on Blog Talk or or, or wherever and they were talking about the differences that are made between Black people on TV and black people on radio versus um, versus whites and, and and how blacks are um, paid a lot less uh, a, a lot less than than their white counterparts and I think that that plays a lot into it as well and you know why why people may be shy or hesitant to go into the business but I don't think it's something that we should shy away from. I think that we need more people doing things that you don't necessarily see um, black people doing. I think that, you know, comics is one way, but I think that there are a a number of ways. And so I'm glad that, uh, uh, Henry, you decided to to step out and you decided to, um, you know, do what you're doing. Thank you. (laughs) So how long before, let's, I guess we're going to get ready to bring it to a close. We've gone 30 minutes over here, Henry. You took us longer. <laughs> Great show. <laughs> How long before, where are you in the process of making all this happen? The comic is complete. And so okay. now it's just a matter, yeah, now it's just a matter of uh, creating a website so everybody can know where to find it and getting prints made. So we're looking at Probably less than a month. So what can we do? What can we do behind the scenes to help, like promote, so that, um, or or how can we tell us what we can do? Uh, Well, I mean, if you can, once I get the website up, if you can, if I can send you a a, what it is, and you can post it online for me. Uh, If maybe sometime in the future I can come back on the show for a few minutes and tell everybody that it's available and how to get it and what it's about. Um, Basically, it's it's really just an exposure game. You know, it's it's, it's really just getting the the information out there because I believe that that you get from people what you expect. And I have very, very high expectations for my people, not because of the condition that they're in, but because I believe that the, our only hope is the Most High, and that's it. So if God, if the Most High gave me this, then He must knows what He's going. He must know what He's going to do with it. So I have no, I have no choice but to believe that when I put this out there, that people are just going to want it. 
It's going to come out four times a year. Um, it's bigger than the average comic. It's almost 30 pages. And it's, it's an eight and a half by 11 is how big it is. So a comic is much smaller than that. And, it, and it'll be $10. And uh, it's all hand-drawn in pencil with, and, and realistic illustration. And you'll be able to see the illustrations online. So basically, that's, you know, when you, when you we order a copy and if you like it, instead of giving it away, you order another one and get out of the way, make it gifts for people. Um, and uh, drop some, order a stock of them and drop them off in the hood somewhere. We take them to a barbershop and they say, hey, I got some comics, you let me know and get some feedback. You know, <clears throat> so uh, it's, it's about putting it out there so that everybody can see it and, and become familiar with it so that when we get ready to make a movie launch, everybody will be familiar with what what the comic is and, and, and who this is. We have to find a, a new way to compete with white Hollywood because they got, you know, they can go to McDonald's and they got TV and media and everything else. We just have each other. So mm-hmm. that's enough. Okay. Do they have, uh, Ronnie might know this, but other uh, other comic books in library or kids able to check, mm-hmm. check out? Uh, oh, yeah. Really? Okay, okay. We have them okay. in our libraries uh, at, at school. There's not a huge selection, but we do have some um, at our library and school. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, you have an open invite whenever it's up and running. Um, maybe we could do one of those spotlights where you come on probably better, like in the middle of the show or something when we have most people have, you know, because sometimes it takes people a little bit to kind of get called in and get settled in so that, and then, of course, we'll promote it on Facebook and, and at any other places that I am, and I'm sure Rodney will as well, but let us know, and then I'll certainly order a copy and and uh, share it with some, some of our youth and, and adults as well. Just one copy? Is that it? <laughs> If you hear that, Rodney, she's just going to buy one copy. Wow. I can't order a copy. I mean, for I'm expecting me. 100. I'm expecting yeah. a minimum of 100 from you. Okay. Well, you keep right on expecting it. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> no. Well, you're doing you know, enough by just putting, help me get it out there. Believe that. No, that's fine. I do like to, um, and, and really, though, seriously, the, the book, you say that jokingly, but there's a book called God Chicks and the Men They Love. Um, a couple of years ago, a good number of years ago, I was uh, I won that book, and it was oh my gosh, it was life changing for me. And that's what I give away to women who are I've given so many of those books away to young girls um, and women as well because it helped me so much. So once I read them and I feel hey, and then I will. And I, as a matter of fact, I have to make that call today because Amazon doesn't have the book anymore, and so I called directly to. The church of Pete, Pete and Hallie, Holly Wagner are the authors. And so I called saying, okay, hey, can you guys give me a deal on this? Because I've been doing this for a couple of years. Can I buy direct from you and then give them away? So I'll help in any way I can is what I'm saying. Well, I appreciate it. Okay. I'm going to show you the power, so you the power of cutting and pasting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to see the cut and pasting of the words. I can't wait to see <laughs> how that turns out. But tell them one more time how they can reach you, how how people can contact you, and then I just want to thank you for, for coming on the show. It has been a pleasure, you know, talking back and forth with you, getting to know what about you and what you're doing, and I can't wait to see this 
come forth. It sounds like you have a, just a passion for it and such faith in it happening so then I know it will happen because where there's faith, there's God, and, and lot, lots of things happen after there's faith. So I'm going to turn it over to Rodney, but go ahead and give uh, all of the information of how people can contact you, and then once you get everything going, let us know so you can come back on and share it here, and then we'll push it for you as well. Okay. Um, my number is 330-807-4094. You want to contact me directly. Uh, my email is Henry, H-E-N-R-Y, garden, like you plant a garden, art, A-R-T, at yahoo.com. My present website, where you can see a little bit of my art, is henrygardenart.com. And I'm, this isn't written in stone yet, but I'm believing that the website for the comic, eventually, once we get it up and running, will be royalty restored dot com, but uh, you know, well, you can also face me on friend uh, on um, face me. You can also friend me on Facebook. Uh, if if you're if you're a Tammy's friend, you can go on her page and find me because it'll be easier to do that. Because I found out that there's a million Henry Gardens out there. I didn't know that. I thought I was the only one, but um, you you may have a hard time finding me, especially if you don't know what I look like. So you may want to just go through her friends list and look up Henry Garden and then face me. I mean, I'm then I friend you if you like. Okay. All right, Rodney. Back over to Mr. Rodney, Mr. Uh, Tom Joyner, man. <laughs> <laughs> this has been uh, just another great night, and and I'm so glad that we were able to close out the month of January uh, with the men that, that, that we did, um, Tammy. Um, it has been just phenomenal from, from the beginning of the month um, until tonight, uh, the last Monday in January. And so I think this was great for Butterfly Evolution. I think that this was a great way to kick off 2015. Um, for those of you who did not get a chance to listen to any parts of the show, please know that you can always just go to uh, blogtalkradio.com backslash Butterfly Evolution, and you can listen to the archive show. Uh, we hope that you will stay connected and uh, listen out for updates for anything that Henry's doing and things that uh, Jamal Bowman is doing, who was the uh, principal uh, from Casa Middle School in the Bronx, New York, um, who was on with us during our first hour. Uh, to those of you in the Northeast who may have been listening to the show, uh, we hope that you all are safe. I know that the snow is uh, come down pretty hard here, Tammy. Um, a few hours ago they called and told us that we have a two-hour delay tomorrow, and I think they're going to just uh, end up canceling it. So uh, the, the the weather here is pretty dangerous um, uh, from D.C. on up um, the northeast coast. So to everyone out there who is listening, please be safe. Uh, thank you again to our guests. And as we do always, uh, we're going to send this song out to Tammy's cousin, uh, Diane, um, down in Atlanta, Georgia. We want to thank everyone for tuning in to the Butterfly Evolution Show. We hope that you'll join us next Monday as we continue to honor leading men. Good night, everyone.
Come 